This is a Fubar Radio podcast. If you need any more information, head to fubarradio.com. Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on Fubar Radio. Every week. About about ten seconds ago, Nick took like the biggest gulp of water you've ever seen. I was worried he was going to spit it all over me. I didn't have time. Didn't have time to drink it. I don't know what I was thinking. Oh, um, uh, but it's all right. It's good. Oh, very stressed at the moment, but um, I don't want to burden. My listeners, our listeners, I suppose, in a way, now. In a way. <laughs> With, How many of mine? Uh, I would say, uh, do you know what? I think probably you have 75% of them. I'm a lot less popular <laughs> than I think I am. Um, but um, And I don't think I'm popular. <laughs> I think over the course of us hanging out doing this show, uh, I, I, I think, yeah, anyway, it's a bit dark. But <laughs> keep it light, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I just keep it light. But, keep um, it light. yeah, uh, I... I uh, I, I think I'm a lot less popular than I am. Uh, and I don't think And I think that you can testify that I don't think I'm that popular. <laughs> 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 uh, but still, it's just round the corner for me, Fubar, and uh, feeling pretty good about it this week. Well, the pressure's off because we've got, we've got, standing in for producer Natalie, we've got Abby and Hannah. So mm. uh, the pressure's off for us because we can always say that well, we we were trying our best, but you know we had to deal with uh, stand-in producers. Yeah, no, I would never do that. I think that what we're going to do, uh, guys, is yeah? do the best show uh, ever. We'll do the best show ever. That will show her. That will fucking yeah. show Natalie. That's that, right. Who's who's producing who? Exactly. Who is producing the who? <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Yes. Oh, we're off. Fan club. We're oh, off. oh, oh it is fan club. Hello, my name is um, <laughs> Nick Helm, <laughs> and this is Nathaniel Metcalf. And you're listening to Nick Helm. Nick and Matt's fan, fan club. club. The, uh, first rule of fan club: tell, tell your friends, friends about, about fan, fan club. club. Second rule of fan club: please, please t- for the t- love tell of God, tell, tell, your you, tell your fucking friends. Now, I <laughs> I was on Brett Goldstein's. Uh, podcast uh, you are listening to it listen to it um, it's, uh, I listen to it too it's the only one I have listened to and uh, <laughs> I've been on it uh, well I was I, I told an anecdote about um, the thing is um, because we're doing uh, we're doing our show I feel a tremendous sense of competitiveness with every other podcast that's on there it, it's ones at Food Bar definitely but also ones on a global scale you know so I was kind of like um, I, I don't like to lend out the listeners until we're good and comfy now we're on like what's so this our twenty second, twenty third show? I reckon it's about twenty second, twenty third. And uh, I'm number fifteen on Brett's, and uh, uh, you know, um, I'm just going to say the numbers are staggering. Uh, I went on, <laughs> uh, I went on the review section for Brett's, and oh, he's yeah. got something like five hundred and one five to four star reviews. Do you know what it is though? I think, I think, uh, I think Brett's one has one of those, like a lot of podcasts do. They have a needy quality where they ask people to review them on 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 the show. They ask them to review them on the show. I always notice that when I watch like YouTube clips mm. and stuff like that, when they say, "We would never oh, say like tell your friends punch, to listen p- or anything." Punch the punch the like <laughs> button. Yeah, but I think because we we've do we've done ours as a, we've done ours as a kind of like catchphrase. Yes. People just don't take it seriously. No. But when we say, "Please tell your friends," we're fucking saying, "Tell, tell your, your fucking friends. friends." Yeah, exactly. And tell your fucking friends, right? We've got five hundred. Uh, like, Brett's got five hundred and two, five hundred and four. 
four four to five star reviews on his iTunes page. Yeah. We've got 41, right? We've got 41. 41. We've got 40 five-star reviews and one... I, I looked out this week. We've got one four-star review. I saw that. And if I find the cunt, right? <laughs> if I find that fucking cunt that gave us a one... That gave us a four-star review, I will hunt him down <laughs> and I will make him drown in the blood of the young. Right? I don't give a fuck who I offend right now, but fucking four stars. We put fucking a hundred and... A hundred and a million percent into each fucking week, yeah. right? Anyone that's heard it, yeah. we Week on, week out, and knows that I have a it problem is. with live broadcasting, <laughs> and yet is. I turn up every week and I still do it. So <laughs> once, okay, once I didn't turn up on time, right? <laughs> and maybe I can understand you give that show a four star, but I listened back to it, and that was the most professional start to any of the shows that we've ever done. I'm absolutely fucking livid, right? Tell your friends, but no, none of your fucking um, uh, Philip four stars, right? We want, we want, we want Philip five stars. <laughs> fucking Absolutely unbelievable. And we're going to have to do a lot better than 41, 45 star reviews and one four star review if we're going to catch up with Brett Goldstein by the end of the day. <laughs> he's got he's got over 100% more. Is it 100%? 10, 100% 100. more than us. He's got more than 100%. He's got over. That's why I said he's got 100%. He's got 1,000. No, he's got 502. Anyway, I'm really right. fucking hacked off. We, we, we wanted to uh, come out here and, and share positive vibes. And it just seems to me that... Uh, no, uh, I've just... Uh, I've, I've lost... I've just lost sight of why we set out to do this in the first place. Now. <laughs> what was our initial thing? just wanted people to be grateful that... I, I mean, it's right around the corner for me, so I'm giving up a lot less time than you are, Nat. Sure. But, I mean, think of the shoe leather. At the end of the year, I'll have got through maybe one, two pairs of shoes. But you, on the other hand, I mean, what, a dozen? A dozen pairs of shoes. A couple of dozen pairs of shoes? They're worn t- through to my feet. God, and it's not like, I mean, we're doing two hours now as well. Exactly. This is the amount of money that I'm spending on lozenges just to recuperate from <laughs> from uh, the, the, the exertion that I put out there. Every um, week. Every week at midnight! <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm a bit bummed out about this uh, five... But the thing is, we haven't asked anyone for to anything. give us... We never ask anyone for anything. The, the, the thing is, we haven't asked anyone to give us five stars. No. That's just entirely I up find to that them. a bit funny when they say that, though. That's entirely up to them. It's entirely up to you to what you want to give us. That. I mean, the thing that R- Brett was reasoning was that it does mean that uh, if you give people reviews, it does get them out to a wider audience. Right. But... Um, you know, because it comes up in people's... They go, this is popular and, and, and we'll That's recommend right. you this. If you like stuff about films, then then this is about films or pop culture. I mean, we're still going under the pretense that we talk about pop culture, aren't we? But um, <laughs> it's, it's a film show. But sometimes we talk about Batman's cock. We oh, do. Did, did you remember last week? Yeah. Yeah. Classic episode. Classic. It was a classic episode. Maybe, uh, maybe give that one. Go back, listen to the podcast of it, and give us five stars. <laughs> Don't ask for it. No. It's tacky. If what it's, I'm saying is the difference you between... What think it's deserved? The difference between me and you, not me and you, uh, us and other podcasts, yes. that we've never asked for it, and just by not asking, we've managed to rack up 40, 45 star 40 reviews and, and one, one, four. one four. And, uh, and uh, just imagine what we'd have got if we'd have asked. If we'd, we'd have asked every uh, week. If we'd have asked every week for, for reviews, like, you know, you know, then we would have reached a wider audience on iTunes, and but we've never asked because you know 
this is to the this is to our listeners now, because we like you just as you are, just as you are. <laughs> <laughs> from Bridget Jones that's fan club um, what, have you been, <laughs> what have you been up to uh, this week do you think they'll review us now yeah yeah do you think um, what have you been up to this week I we're ha- still unsure we've never had any viewing figures in listening figures in have we? no it all seems vague it's all very vague I think it's you know I want to know I mean it's got serious I think now we're uh we're serious broadcasters. I don't think you could give this Still any less Still not got a mug a yet. I mean, that's even worse today. Guest. That's the worst mug you've had so know, far. Guest, it Foobar says. Radio, guest. Yeah, it suggests uh, that I'm not. I mean, now Natalie's not here, right? Abby and Hannah, do you think you could uh, try and talk to the bigwigs and uh, see if we can get a mug each? be nice. That'd be lovely. It's been eight months. <laughs> yes. This week I saw John Carpenter with you. Yeah. Oh, uh, I didn't bring your post. I bought. Yeah. Okay. It's all right. I don't need to burden the <laughs> listeners with that. <laughs> um, and I loved it. I loved it. John Carpenter. I, I imagine a lot of people know tell, John Carpenter. Tell, is, don't tell, they? tell me. Uh, don't tell me what John Carpenter is. But um, tell, <laughs> tell tell uh, the you, listeners when, when you say I went to see John Carpenter, you didn't just go and see him in a, in a nursing home or anything like that, did no. you? John Carpenter was performing uh, his, his soundtrack themes from his famous movies that he made in the seventies, eighties, and nineties. John Carpenter. When was Dark Star? Seventies, must be early seventies. It's a student film, then, wasn't it? Yeah, he didn't do that one though, did he? He didn't play anything from Dark Star. No. So yeah, that, yeah, but that must be about seventy-four. No, nineteen seventy-four. I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, just in case anyone was thinking, sixteen seventy-four. Bloody hell, he's been around a long time, hasn't he? He, he used has to do the theme tunes to uh, William Shakespeare's plays. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, no, it was uh, nineteen seventy-four. Don't worry, guys. Nineteen seventy-four and. Uh, and he is the director of Halloween, Big Trouble in Little China, Dark Star, The Thing, The Thing, Prince of Darkness, Prince of Darkness, Salt on Precinct Thirteen, Salt on Precinct Thirteen, Ghosts of Mars, Ghosts of John Mars. Carpenter's Vampires, uh, obviously, uh, John Craven's News Round, <laughs> <laughs> In the Mouth of Madness, In the Mouth of Madness, Village of the Damned, hmm. yeah. um, The Fog, The Fog, Yeah, The Fog, That's a big one. I uh, don't like the fog. I do like it. I like it a great deal. I've never. I. I, uh, um, I think it's weird. I love all the actors in it. Um, I love. I like Jamie Lee Curtis. Although, did you see her on Graham Norton the other week? No. She was. She had a weird vibe. In what way? She was kind of. A, mm, she was just weird. She came on okay. quite aggressive and came across as a bit of an asshole. Okay. But um, uh, I do like Jamie Lee Curtis. If you're listening, Jamie. If you come, come on, and, <laughs> come on, and uh, come on, and don't be an arsehole. I, I think that probably doing a show like Graham Norton is very stressful, and um, uh, this is kind of like I don't know. She's done like a lot of uh, TV, hasn't she? But this is kind of maybe her big press run, and I think that when you're doing something that is so sort of like loud and uh, geared towards organised fun. Then I think that you can maybe go in and put, you know, it's true. have your heels dug in a little bit and just like go, oh God, don't make me look like a twat. And so you're on the defensive instantly. Yeah. I guess that's it though, isn't it? Because I mean, that's a, another job that actors haven't necessarily signed up for, have they? 
when they when they no, they have it's part oh, of their contract oh sure but I mean like in terms of it, when they become an no, actor but it's part of their pay you can do the film but you have to do press sure and they go yeah great but you're going to give me another million to but do when press they're and they're going to go yes and then they turn up and do press and they're fucking furious about that <laughs> and you go no you've signed a contract to do this sure but it's not saying they have to remember be good when at Ed it. Norton didn't do the press for the Incredible Hulk because he was an incredible sulk because yes. he wasn't happy with how the film turned out <laughs> do you remember so, so Louis Leterrier did all the press with this is an obscure fucking no no thing. this is good <clears throat> Louis Leterrier did all the press for Incredible Hulk with Tim Roth and you're kind of like going, yeah, sure, but uh, where's, <laughs> where's the Incredible Hulk? And, uh, and he didn't do any press for it because he wasn't happy with the film. Um, and they no weren't doubt, happy with him? I'm not sure he got sued or anything like that, but he definitely didn't come back for the next one. And no. do you know who does like to impress? That fella who Mark is Ruffalo. Ruffalo. He fucking loves it. He's quite good, isn't he? Have you seen him on those press things? He Mark- comes across incredibly likeable, but also like he's slightly, he doesn't really know. He's slightly indelicate, isn't he? He's goofy. Hmm. I love him. Uh, he did a film called You Can Count On Me. Mm. Uh, and um, when I saw that, I mean, basically every day when we were filming, not every day, that's, that's bullshit. But when, uh, one of the, when I met Ollie Refson, who, mm-hmm. wrote, and, who wrote and directed Uncle, uh, I didn't write Uncle. <laughs> Just to put it out there, I think I'm pretty sure our four listeners know that, but. Every fucking. Did you do the song so? What was it like writing Uncle? I didn't write it. Every every episode starts with uh, Oliver Refson and Lila Vanderberg. Never, never me. No, and it's not a pseudonym, is it? Uh, for Nick Alf. No, it's not. No. Anyway, so uh, but when we when me and Ollie wrote, when um, Ollie wrote the first three by himself, and then and then Lila came along, um, and. Uh, you can count on me was one of the ones that we talked about in terms of like the tone that we kind of wanted. I don't think we ever matched <coughs> the exact tone of you can count on me or um, Royal Tenenbaums was the other one that mm. we really wanted. Because when I read the script, I'm sorry, I'm talking about this now. But when I read the script for Uncle, it was kind of like, yeah, yeah, I like the script, but it, it could until I've met the director and the guy that wrote it, and I know what his intentions are for it. It could either be like a broad Kevin James esque. Uh, Adam Sandler comedy, or it could be something that's a bit more delicate. And my sensibilities were always with sort of like Wes Anderson and stuff like that. And you can count on me. So when me and Ollie met up, we talked about you can count on me. I fucking love that film. It's me so too. great. I saw it at the cinema. Oh, um, did you? Yeah. Lucky. Um, but I think it was at sort of at a time. I think it might have been when I was unemployed and I would just do that every day. Or well, it seemed like it was one of them definite. <clears throat> um, uh, blockbuster finds where you go yeah. oh wow this is like a hidden gem yeah and I didn't really hear people talking about it until like uh, it's a guy did Manchester by the Sea isn't it same I've no director, idea I don't I really know anything about it I haven't seen it in a few years it's, it? what's the guy called I just think that Mark Ruffalo is so good in that and then when he became uh, Hulk uh, you go um, yeah it's really good casting yeah, it's almost yeah. kind of like why didn't you just cast him from the beginning Exactly. He was. He's perfect. He's got the right look. Edward Norton never really felt. He no. always felt like, oh, it's Edward Norton, and then he turns into a big green monster. And he was never going to be part of the ensemble, was he? He was never. Well, it's so early. I yeah. mean, they'd filmed it before Iron Man came out. I suppose so. Yeah. And so, so they didn't no... know what they were dealing with, and I think that yeah, you don't want you don't want a control freak. Mm. You want someone in the best possible way that's happy just to be working, mm. and then uh, on the side he can like, promote all of his political things. Which is what he does, isn't it? But I just love him. I think he's, I think he's amazing. Um, 
But and I think that's how, exactly how you have got to handle those films. You don't want to go into a fucking superhero film where you turn into a CGI green monster with mm. a political agenda. You go, uh, Ed, pick your battles. You're yeah. right. I think yeah. I guess in those kind of things, it's not gonna, you know, if you're just talking about a superhero movie, it's probably. And actually, if you're talking about a superhero movie and promoting them, of course you're gonna have to promote a superhero movie because it's cost them. $300 million to make. But they're going to be the most fun interviews to do, right? Um, although, I, I mean, one of the best interviews I saw on Graham Norton was when um, Sylvester Stallone and Robert De Niro were promoting Grudge Match. Mm -hmm. and, um, <clears throat> and Robert De Niro... Who, who else was on? Uh, there were a couple of young actors that were on. Um, and Graham Norton was struggling with Robert De Niro... And um, Sylvester Stallone was kind of like the mediator, and he was just kind of like, <laughs> he was just like, oh, come on. You remember me? I'm not going to do this. Is that the one? Can't that, do the voice. There's one that gets referenced, I think. <laughs> Is it that there's one, I think it was a Graham Norton, where Tom Hiddleston was on, but he's doing his Robert De Niro impression to, to Robert, Robert De Niro. Niro. It's the worst thing and I've ever goes, seen. And he goes, oh, God, like the, the sort of um, the confidence of it, rather than being, oh, God, I'm meeting Robert De Niro. Yeah, I'm meeting Robert De Niro, I'll probably uh, keep the fact I can do a, 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 an okay impression of him to myself. And then he did it in front of him, and Robert De Niro is not the most enthusiastic person at the best times. So he's just, it's just, it's sphincter clenching, yeah. it's sphincter clenchingly awful television. <laughs> but, um, but that's that. But um, uh, yeah, Robert De Niro is really, really sort of like, he's not frosty, but he just kind of like doesn't realise how much he actually has to contribute to actually be on telly. He's just, I think that um, Alec Baldwin does an impression of um, Al Pacino, someone else, and uh, Robert De Niro. And basically Robert De Niro just, I think maybe it was Christopher Walken, and Robert De Niro just basically, his impression was just him sitting there smiling and everything that Al Pacino was saying. Um, so he doesn't really contribute, but Sylvester Stallone did this really cool thing where he just kind of like, every time he got questioned, he kept like bringing Robert De Niro in, and Robert De Niro did the thing. And then, oh, anyway, it was just lovely. Major heart melt, what a lovely man. <laughs> um, but anyway, so um, so I really love Jimmy, Jimmy Curtis in The Fog. Yes. Or in Halloween, actually. I don't really enjoy the fog. Uh, and um, who's the other actress that's in it? She's um, Adrian in, Barbeau. Is uh, she the one in uh, Creep uh, Show and Escape from New York? Yes, yeah. yeah right. She's great. Right? I, yeah. didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know her name. But the, basically, you've got a film with two female leads, but they are, don't meet. So they've got these yeah. two separate plots. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I always like the idea of the fog more than I like the film. I don't find pirate ghosts particularly scary. I think... Th I mean, it's like he went, like, I'm going to do a serial killer film with Halloween, and he went, I'm going to do a ghost story, mm. and then I'm going to do a science, futuristic uh, science fiction film with like, Escape from New York. So it's like he picked something from... They're all kind of, like, B-movie-type genres, mm. but there's, or sub-genres, but he kind of, like, picked a different film with each one, or a different sub-genre with each one, and then he kind of made them. And I think The Fog um, has always left a lot to be decided with me, but... I am going to go and see a screening of it on Monday. And yes. uh, I've only ever watched it on TV. And I think that if I'm trapped in a cinema watching it, then I'll focus a lot more. I'll be so, yeah, I'll be Maybe interested I'll to see what you, uh, what you think of it next week. Because well, I love The Fog. I think it's, I think it's one, of the, one of the top end ones. Did we say The Thing? Yeah. Yeah. You said The Thing. Well, the good thing about so we went to see John Carpenter do like his greatest hits, and then some of his uh, hidden uh, lost themes. Lost themes. 
His Lost Themes albums are brilliant. They right? are. I sit down and I... So, so basically, um, John Carpenter, legendary director, and um, uh, he worked a lot with Kurt Russell, and basically they've always got these banging themes right at the beginning. They're, they're kind of really hooky. Yeah. Where, um, and he basically plays the same, same thing over and over again, whilst in the background the, the synths get more and more intense. And um, and it was just sort of like he he was in London, I guess, because it's around Halloween time. Yeah, yeah. And he's sort of promoting the new film as well, I guess, because he was an executive producer on the new Halloween film. Yeah, and he does the music. I didn't let share, which is nice. Well, he's a musician. Like, it would be kind of weird for him to be executive producer and for them not to include him on that. Oh, sure. I think that's great. But I also thought it might be that they would, or he might even see it as a bit of a step down. A bit like, oh, can you just do the music on this I, one? I'm sure he would fucking love it. I think he does. Because his budget's got smaller and smaller, and yeah, his yeah. last few films were awful. And the fact he still does his Lost <coughs> Themes album, I think it's obviously something that he loves doing, that kind of composing. His Lost Themes albums are great. So basically what they are, uh, what did he say? He says, these are the themes to the films that you imagine. <laughs> that you create uh, the, in your own mind. Yeah, it was so great. He's such a yeah. He's such a because he's always come across as quite a, a bit of a grumpy interviewer when you see him sort of interview, and when you see him on stage, he puts his fucking glasses on for They Live mm. and he's chewing chewing gum all the way through. He's having a dance. And he's kind of like he's doing a little dad dance behind the keyboard, and his son's on stage with him, and, he's and he doesn't. And he's, the the little themes he does himself that he performs himself, like the main themes, they don't look like they're even particularly difficult to perform. Oh, so no. he makes a big a big gesture of having like pressing odd keys and well, he sort of like brings his hand up and yeah. then he presses a key yeah. and he just holds it on there for like you know and uh, and i think but th- that's what's amazing about his his themes is the fact that um john carpenter um uh, they are really technically they're simple mm. you know and but it's kind of like what he doesn't play is what counts you know mm. i think um uh yeah it's uh, less is more mm. and he knows that and uh, and so um when he did the thing uh, was that that was for Universal? When he did the thing, uh, they basically said uh, we have forty-two five-star ratings on iTunes. One four-star rating, forty-two five-star. Oh, we've had two, two more five-star reviews in that amount of time. I mean, God, and thank God we didn't. Imagine what would have happened if we'd have begged for it. Exactly. But we didn't beg. We, we just, just we just talked about other people's awful other, other, tactics. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, I wonder, I wonder if uh, it will rise by the end of the first hour. Uh, I may well donate some money to a children's charity. <laughs> so, um, so, so, so not necessarily, not and necessarily, certainly not if we don't. Don't bind me to that. Um. Um, but, but basically, so uh, Ennio, uh, so Ennio Morricone came on to do the soundtrack to the thing. And it didn't come on. Um, no, he didn't come on. No, but he is doing kind of like well. Oh yeah, he's doing very it, different yeah. arenas. He's doing like the O2 arena. Ennio sure. Morricone. Obviously, he's famous for doing. Um, he's done a string of giallos. Every so often, a giallo will come on that I'm watching, and it will be like, "Yep, that's Ennio Morricone." Well, he's, he's famously made like hundreds, hasn't he? He's done hundreds of soundtracks you over can, the years. You can tell the difference. There's like some giallos, Ennio Morricone. And some are sort of generic, and then every so often there'll be, and not always Dario Argento, there'll be a goblin one, and you'll go, "Yep, that's goblin." Yep, yep. <laughs> I'll be, I'll do, an, I'll do a David Essex, and I'll be like, uh, "That sounds like goblin." <laughs> yep. Well, um, speaking of that, time, but hang on. The, oh, so, so the story about Ennio Morricone is Ennio Morricone, uh, Universal put Ennio Morricone on, and they be like, "John Carpenter, you've got too much on your plate directing the thing. This is a big Universal film. You're, you're used to making independent films." 
so you're not going to do the score. And he was like, oh. Uh, so uh, they got Ennio Morriconian to do the scene to the score, and Ennio Morricone was like... Um, Hey, uh, why is it that you you're not doing your own score? I imagine that's exactly how he how talks. He said it, yeah. He's from uh, real, real, and uh, <laughs> he said, uh, "Hey, uh, what's uh, what's going on? Why are you not doing your own score?" And uh, John Carpenter says, "Oh, they won't let me." So uh, anyway, he says, "I tell you what I do. I'm gonna do." Uh, <laughs> 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 I mean, did he do The Godfather? He didn't do The Godfather, nah. did he? He did Untouchables. He did. He said, to tell you what I'm going to do, John. I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, John. Right. I'm going to do you a number one John Carpenter score. How is that and right? so, uh, so uh, the thing is basically any Americone doing a tribute to John Carpenter because he just was just like, you can do this. Uh, I don't know why you're not doing it. So he did it. Um, and I just think that's a really sweet story. Sweet. Did you know as well that there was lots of unused stuff from the thing that Morricone came up with? And that when uh, Quentin Tarantino approached Ennio Morricone to do the score for uh, The Hate for Late, yeah. he, he was going, I haven't really got the time. And he was really sort of struggling. And he's kind of, he's getting on a bit in years. And he was sort of going, I don't know if I can do the score. And there's, it's like a two and a half hour movie. I've got all these things to write. And then when he was talking about what kind of stuff to do, he realised that he still had stuff left over from the thing. And he goes, well, I've got these things I haven't used. And I think Quentin Tarantino was kind of aware of them. And then it was sort of perfect because to Tarantino's mind, he saw the thing as being like one of the sort of major influences. on Yeah, the I mean, late. you can see that. Yeah, you? it's like a snowbound paranoia. Yeah. And it's, yeah, exactly. it's essentially almost like a little bit of a remake. Yeah. And so like it was like, well, that's perfect. So like the part of the thing of Morricone... Using um, doing the music for Hateful Eight was that he was able to use stuff that was unused uh, bits of music from the thing. Well, he wanted him to do the uh, music for um, Inglorious Bastards, right? Because yeah, it, it was called, uh, wasn't it called Once Upon? No, that was the first title comes up Once Upon a Time in Germany. Yes, uh, or Nazi occupied Germany, and uh, uh, and he wanted Ennio Morricone to do it. And Ennio, he, again, he said he didn't have time, so mm. he just used a classic uh, track. Or maybe an obscure track, and um, so finally, when he did hopefully, I guess he got his off cuts. But um, yeah, Quentin Tarantino has had a hard on for Morricone for a long time. And why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? He's amazing. He? He's got a lovely voice, isn't he? I'm on a bit of a diet, so I've got a hard <laughs> on for macaroni. Yes. Um, I, macaroni cheese, that is. It's something I always think. I'm sure this has been chronicled elsewhere. But like, I'm not on a diet, I'm just on intermittent fasting. I can eat what I want between the hours of four and midnight. So, yeah, go on, sorry. I was going to say that <clears throat> the, the, the John Carpenter themes that he's doing for things like Halloween and the scores that Goblin were doing for the Argento movies mm. always feel like that they're, they probably sound like that because they're all trying to be tubular bells, right? So they're almost gone from the Exorcist and doing a kind of Goblin. Exorcist-esque. Do you think that's what they're doing? That's what it always feels like. That that's what they're trying to recreate a kind of synthy oh, score. You've sort of broken Goblin for me. No, do you not think though? Um, I think, but actually, I would much it. rather. I would much rather listen to uh, Claudio. Yeah, Simonetti. Oh, that Claudio was the other thing Simonetti's we found out in the Goblin. week. What? That uh, we got we got tweeted a thing that was pointing out that Claudio Simonetti. Also, fucking yeah. hell, Claudio Simonetti, the composer of some of the most sinister, fucking terrifying scores. He did Suspiria, he did Deep Red, he did Tenebrae. others. Tenebrae. Tenebrae. And I love him. Um, 
Uh, great, absolutely chilling. There's some like, some of the only well, I buy I buy well, it doesn't matter, but I get his I get I get Goblin albums of soundtracks on vinyl because uh, I'm a wanker. But uh, <laughs> but what did he write, Nathaniel? He wrote Superman, the Black Lace song, which is incredible. Because apparently it was initially it was a it was an Italian song originally can that you, got translated. Can you try and find the song Superman by Black Lace, please? Thank you. Thank you, Abby and Hannah. Just to, just Who'd to, have thought we'd ever play Black Lace? But <laughs> on the show. Uh, we might not. <laughs> Every time I've asked for someone to find a song, we've never got Black Lace. To it. Also, did the soundtrack to the film Rita Sue and Bob Two. Did yeah. all the songs, which I found quite depressing. They also did the soundtrack to My Childhood. <laughs> black lace sound like that. I mean, it, I mean, I suppose it is a jello, isn't it? I was going to say blood and black lace, isn't there? There is, a, yeah, there is, there is it's called blood and black lace, which is great. If you if you don't know what a jello, oh, I'm not going to explain. But um, you know, you, you know, know, you know, um, no by now. Uh, but I don't think Suspiria is a jello. No, no, because there's a remake of so it's, it's, a jello is a uh, Italian uh, thriller mm. that generally stars uh, a. Uh, an English or American star usually who comes over to do to slam it in Italy to do kind of like a B movie and uh, there's normally it's about a um, unseen killer with black gloves that goes around strangling Mm -hmm. uh, attractive Italian women Um, and then there's a twist at the end and you find out who the the killer is and it's called Jello because it's based on the yellow the yellow pages of Italian thrillers, yeah, of not Italian the phone book. not the phone book, guys. Don't don't tweet in, tweet in, and tell your friends. <laughs> tell um, your friends actually, it leaves a, a five star review. But if you but, want to, but, if you want it to, but don't worry about don't worry about the iTunes out. reviews. Just chill out. About chill it, out it. about it. Stop talking about it. <laughs> and, um, but um, uh, so that's what Jello is. And then everyone now that Suspiria's got a remake, everyone's sort of like being very beard stroking, going, "Well, it's actually an Italian Jello." I've watched like YouTube videos about them sort of like trying to patronise people by explaining to them what giallos are and you go uh, yeah but um, you know like they've invented it Mm. like this is something I've discovered and it's not it's something I discovered well we (laughs) discovered five years ago when we went to see Deep Red at the Barbican and um, uh, but anyway so Suspiria is not Suspiria is a supernatural thriller but I think what it does is that I think if you're a fan of Dario Argento's and he was a big star in his day that's probably one of the first ones that is an actual supernatural thing and starts, I guess, like a jallo, right? That if you're watching it, you're going, because the first murder, you would think, oh, I guess it's another jallo. And then it almost escalates into not being. I think it's a bit of a rug pull, isn't it? I think he's maybe being a little bit self-referential. Mm. But he basically, um, you watch his first four films, and uh, so he did um, uh, crystal, uh, Bird. Bird with the Crystal Plumage, uh, Four Flies on Grey Velvet, Cat O' Nine Tales. Cat O' Nine Tales. And then they basically, each of those films are sort of remakes almost of um, Blow Up. Mm. So you have an artist that um, witnesses a thing. And doesn't quite see it. Doesn't quite see it or understand, but he's got all the pieces of the puzzle and he spends the film trying to work it all out. And then at the end, he solves it. And so, and Blow Up, obviously, starring David Hemmings. And then he kind of like, by the time he got to his fourth or it wasn't his fourth film but Mm. by the time he got to his fourth kind of jello which was Deep Red um, which has some supernatural elements in it it's got like telekinesis and stuff like that yes it does by the time he gets to that it's kind of like he's absolutely nailed what he wanted to do with the jello but also he's managed to get David Hemmings to be in it Mm. who who was kind of um, in Blow Up Mm. 
Uh, and so I think he finished it with that. And so when he did the Suspiria, I can't wait to see the remake of Suspiria. I haven't Me seen too. the trailer yet. Uh, I don't know anything about it. I don't know what they've done. I just I just know that people are kind of freaking out about it. And I'm looking. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. It was interesting what we were talking about last week because that's what we were talking about with Charlie Hickson was about Italians sort of doing these kind of postmodern versions of movies. Well, I didn't realise that because um, obviously spaghetti westerns, spaghetti westerns were um, uh, it's obviously an American genre where you'd have an Italian crew, which is why it's called spaghetti western. You'd have an Italian director and crew. And Dario Argento started off writing. Um, uh, Once upon a time in the West for mm. uh, Sergio Leone. Exactly, that's what I was about to say about the. Um... But so, so th- those were what they were. Uh, they were, and then they'd film in Europe. So you'd have like Germans and Austrians, and then Spanish, and, Spanish and then they'd film with a camera only, without a sound department. And then Clint Eastwood would come over, who was fresh off of Rawhide, and no one knew he was. And they would sell it to American audiences based on the fact that we've got an American star, and everyone would dub themselves. And I didn't realise until recently that basically giallos were spaghetti thrillers mm. where um, you'd have, they'd film in Italy and it would be an all-Italian crew and then you would end up um, uh, otherwise known as a macaroni western. Thanks for that. That's really useful. Thanks, Abby. <laughs> Blown away. <laughs> um, and it was on point. Um but uh, so they were called like uh, they're basically they're like spaghetti thrillers mm-hmm. where you got an all Italian crew. They're filming in Italy. Um, everyone speaks different languages. Um, it, the Italians speak Italian, uh, but then they'll get like an American star in so that they can sell it to uh, foreign markets and um, or a British guy, and uh, and then they'll just dub it all. Mm. But I didn't realise it was kind of like the same process. But in actual fact, it's just they were all being made at the same time. They're just like parallel genres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was basically the same crew, same writers. They just oh, sort of yeah. Like jump I around. mean, a lot of things you watch a lot of Italian movies, you see that it is often exactly the same crews and sort of personnel working on them that they have done for. And also, they're the same guys that are doing the sort of Fellini movies are making yeah. sort of crime thrillers and things. I love it. I find all of that. I'm just really. I mean, I'm not just getting into it, but it's been like the last four years where I've kind of like exclusively bought them on DVD and kind of watched. It. And I just I find finding out about a new thing. Like that, it's just right. I mean, we've mentioned it every single week we've been I doing know. this, and um, and I just find it absolutely fascinating. And I think, yeah. But what you were saying last week about Henry Fonda in being cast against type in Once Upon a Time in the West, and that is, you say, written by Dario Argento, one of the writers, mm-hmm. is that that's sort of exactly what he did in Deep Red with uh, David Hemmings, wasn't it? He's sort of quoting another film, so they're, they're quoting previous Hollywood movies or sure. American movies, or in that case, I guess it's a sort of. Italian British movie, but sure. using this sort of film history and quoting them as part of their own movies. Yeah, very sort of self-referential and very kind of postmodern. Very I clever. Love it. Um, oh look, um, I'm going to play uh, a song now and uh, pick this up after the song. <laughs> Fucking hell! Uh, oh, this is the. Uh, I'm going to play uh, the first Alice Cooper. This is the Alice Cooper song that got me into Alice Cooper. Oh, great. Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on Fubar Radio. Oh, yeah, right, good. So uh, my phone has just been going. Um, I'm doing my show, uh, I Think You Stink, uh, 
next week and um uh, and basically I'm, I'm having one of your nightmares now where uh, Royal Mail are trying to deliver all of the stuff that I've ordered and uh, I'm out I'm just going to have to go to the post oh, office the, uh, I have to go to the bloody post office tomorrow I'll tell you what I had to do a strongly worded email in the end Nick and I have got a refund on my package on your goodies box set mm-hmm. that's good i tell you what just really briefly before we bring our first guest on um, i tell you what I watched uh, if you're listening out there uh, <laughs> we know you're waiting um, <laughs> but uh, we've got a format Guest comes on in quarter two, and that, we're sticking with it. Um, I watched this week. I watched. Uh, thanks for asking. I watched. Um, oh, what have you been enjoying this week, Nick? I watched the Fall of the Jedi. I don't know what that is. That is a fan edit of the first of the prequel movies from Star Wars. Okay. Where uh, Phantom Menace is a tiny flashback, and they edit. The, it's two and a half hours long. They edit. Um, Attack of the Clones down to about an hour, and then uh, the last one, Revenge of the Sith, is like an hour and a half. They okay. cut out all of him being uh, being like sulky and bratty, and it's basically they play up his tragedy. Uh, interesting, but what I did work out was that it doesn't actually uh, wallpaper over. <clears throat> you just have to remake them and rewrite them. Well, I was going to say, I actually think with the prequels, I don't know, I think this might be an unpopular opinion to the Star Wars prequels, but I think they get consecutively worse. Like, I think I think Phantom Menace is the best of them, and, like, the second and third ones are just unnecessarily sort of... They seem much more sort of fanish and sort of dark in not a cool way, in a kind of sort of depressing way I think, I, think like. I think they're really badly done and really bad not just like oh, I think they're shit films when they shat on my childhood and anything like that. I don't feel like that I just feel like um, they're just badly put together like for instance um, and this is a problem that they did with uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi but mm. I noticed this I've noticed this for a while now but but this is my big bugbear at the moment in the Star Wars universe is that um, if you're going to hide a baby from his father Right, if you're going to hide uh, Anakin Skywalker's son, why the fuck didn't you change Luke Skywalker's surname? Yeah, you've changed Leia's surname. She's Leia Organa. She's gone off with with. Uh, I mean, there's lots of things like yeah, that. Yeah, but though, but, there? but that's such a like. Okay, but he's in his home. He's in his home planet, and the prequels have him actually visiting the place where Luke grows up, hanging out with Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, uh, going off and to finding his dead mum. But what mom. you don't see is there's there's probably there's a they probably wrote a Star Wars book or something where every no. time they said Skywalker, you'd go, oh, no relation. <laughs> so, so, and everyone would be like, ah. It so all the guys from the Empire were like, uh, sorry, mate, what's his surname? And he goes, Skywalker. Oh, no, no relation. They go, oh, okay, because we're, okay, that's fine. It's just that within, the own, within its own consistent, within its own universe, uh, it's so inconsistent, and that's sure. what's really annoying. It's like there's little sure. bits like Back to the Future where, oh, they changed the actress, and, uh, and oh, now he starts going on about chicken in the sequel, but I can look over that. But when things just literally, it's kind of like uh, you've got one person building a bridge over the, over the ocean and the other person building it, and when they finally do it, I mean, they're like 20 feet <laughs> apart and they don't match. I mean, it's there like, are lots of things like that, and often where you go and often what's weird is it's one of the few film series where it feels like it has almost set up lots of things in the uh yeah but none of it matches no, I know. none of it matches but you would think like if you're watching there's bits in in star wars where they say like you've got these things where um obi-wan kenobi kind of goes it's like oh well r2d2 knows you and he goes oh that's strange 
but like seems to not know R two D two. Yeah, but and sure. it feels like but it's setting something up. Like, oh, what's happened then? What's the relationship? Yeah, sure. But even with Empire Strikes Back, it takes Luke the same amount of time to do his Jedi training as it does for the Millennium Falcon to travel from one place to another. <laughs> and you go, um, and people are like going, yeah, but they have to travel a long way. He's like, I they didn't have to travel fucking eight weeks. I don't think it is that. I think that's that kind of cutting y thing, isn't it? That Lucas likes doing I think that's fine I think that yeah, just but adds you go, to if you look at the original six you go oh my god it's it's, all, it's like it's like uh, you know 20 different people were working on them and there was no brain that was looking over all of it and you go no but it's George I love George Lucas as well Me I'm not too. like but um, but anyway I just find out found that really weird it's like why wouldn't you just change his name because you would change his name so mm. basically you fucked this up right from the Empire Strikes Back you know, sure. he just goes, I'm your father. What, your father is Anakin Skywalker? Okay, Sky of the Skywalkers that lives just outside of Moss Eisley. Sure. You're right, you're right. Anyway, uh, it was kind of interesting because it was this it was this fan cut where you go, oh, it's, it's, that's fan cut. It's, it, it's an improvement, but it makes all of the pre... I love it. But it makes, I'm a big fan. That's fan... But it makes all of them. The prequels just feel like TV, and there's no depth to them, emotional depth to them. Like the bit when Order sixty, Order sixty six, when they're all getting killed, or the Jedi. Spoiler alert! Uh, Spoiler! It's really loud in my ears. Anyway, we're going to bring on our first guest now. We've got um, um, we're joined not in the studio but over the phone down the line. Nicker Schulker. 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 And uh, (laughs) fucking hell, sorry. And uh, uh, are you you there, Nickesh? Hi, how's it going? How are you? Where are you calling us from? I am standing in the middle of Cheltenham, about to do a talk at university. Are you doing a book Uh, tour? I am doing a book tour. I'm sort of at the end of a book tour, yeah. Um, sorry, you're really loud in my ears. I'm just going to turn you down. <laughs> Professional. How are you, Nick? There you go. I'm great, thanks. Sorry, I just wanted to see if I was still that, still really loud. No, 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 you're not. We've got it all levelled out now. We've got it all levelled out. What do you think about the Star Wars prequels, Nikesh? I think I'm with you. I think I think the uh, I think I'm with you now. I think the first one's probably the best best of a bad bunch, Insane. which is kind of like dam- damning it with faint praise. Um, and yeah, Attack of the Clones is just unwatchable. That was my favourite, was it? I think I think the other two, and also they seem, seem like they they've got no. Phantom Menace, at least, looks lovely, and it's got these sort of great sort of production design and things on it. I yeah. think it. Whereas I think it's. The second two, I think, was when the sort of CGI took over. And as much as he was saying, like, oh, we've really got the technology now, when you watch them back, you go, it's not, it doesn't look great. It doesn't look great. But I also watched a documentary where they were basically saying that, um, uh, about how much of it was practical. And there was fuckloads of practical stuff in the, in the, in the, prequel trilogy but mm. they just made it all look CGI mm. anyway uh, that's not what you're here to talk about is it Nick <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm happy I'm happy to I think I think um, old old Ewan McGregor is better than young Ewan McGregor in the, oh like, sure in the yeah. film. A but re- Hayden Christensen's just really miscast I think yeah I think he's miscast but also misdirected and um, I've done stuff where I haven't been directed and uh, and you just uh, you're just guessing and then the director will go yeah that's great and you go no not that Oh no! And I think that, <laughs> I think there's a bit of that with you and McGregor over the three. There's a really funny bit um, in, and it made me laugh uh, in Reter- Revenge of the Sith, where the 
they've just saved the uh, uh, emperor, or he's not the emperor, Senator Palpatine, and they have this massive spaceship and it, it breaks up and it, it crashes and there's this huge crash, and then Ewan McGregor just does this thing where he just flicks his hair out of his <laughs> of his eyes and goes, oh, another happy landing, and it's so <laughs> it, it's just, it, it made me laugh and it was just like, oh, I didn't realise that anything was good in this film, and uh, and I think anyway, uh, there was one thing. <laughs> But you, you've got uh, so you, where are you? Cheltenham. Uh, yeah, I'm doing a talk at a university today, uh, and I did the festival like a couple of weeks ago. That's what so, I thought. Yeah. And are you still yeah, been, are you still promoting the one who wrote Destiny? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so this yeah, is a, like, this, I was going to say this came out in April, so it feels like you've had six months solid of of promo. I know, and everyone really, must be really bored of it. But October's like big literature festival season. I don't know why they choose October as like when all of the things happen, but it's just been like three weeks of lots and lots of sitting in green rooms, reading, uh, drinking really crap red wine, and <laughs> hoping people turn up. Me and Nick were talking earlier about that we probably met you probably almost 10 years ago, right? At one of Richard Sandling's gigs. Yeah, I feel like we were talk- you you were talking about it in like a previous episode. It was like one of his first ones. Yeah, and um, and I I, I was I'm not a stand up, but I, the only thing I've att- time I've attempted to be funny was trying to do something for that gig. And I wrote some found haikus in army fi- army Arnold Schwarzenegger films. <laughs> um, but and I really remember you you Matt had um, well still a, a joke that still makes me ch- chuckle where you talk about. Um, Precious, based on the novel Precious, based on the uh, originally called the novel Pushed by Sapphire, by oh, Sapphire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which still makes me chuckle. Thank you, thank you. Well, and, um, and then after that, I remember you did one of. Um, in fact, do you, in fact, I should do this. Do Do you remember any of your Arnold Schwarzenegger haikus? Um, the answer may be no. <laughs> uh, bits. It's, the, the the total recall one was something like um, see uh, see you at the party, Victor. Get your ass to Mars. I can't remember the first line, but it was something like that. <laughs> oh God, no! But no, I should have just said no. <laughs> <laughs> no That's fine. fine. We enjoyed fine. it. We I enjoyed, enjoyed it. it. I enjoyed listening to you struggle. It's fine. <laughs> uh, uh, but um, uh, so uh, what are you doing your talk about today? Uh, right about the one who wrote Destiny, which yeah, my new novel that came out in um, in April. So how do uh, you how do you do how do you do? What's the format of your talks when you go out? Um, I, I start with a plea to buy my book, um, <laughs> and then I talk about how much money I don't have uh, compared to J.K. Rowling, and then <laughs> I um, say that there's loads of sex and swearing in it, and then. I do a reading that has no sex or swearing in it, and then hope for the best. <laughs> um, I mean, this this because there's there's a lot of stuff that kind of went into it. Like um, there's there's stuff about um, it, it. Part of it follows the life of a stand-up comedian. Part of it is sort of like inspired by my uncle, who uh, in 1968 was the first person to ever bring a case of racial discrimination under the Race Relations Act. And uh, part of it is about. Um, cancer that that old uh, hilarious chestnut um terminal cancer and so yeah i just i like just basically talked about the themes and my uncle and other stuff 
Yeah, God, I sound re- it sounds really insulting. Well, it? I would say I've just started reading it, and I'd say I'm I'm already thoroughly charmed by it. But I I, I understand that it does get a lot darker as it goes on. But currently, it is it is charm personified. So what is it? Is it it's it's autobiographical, or is it fiction? Oh, it's fiction. No, it's, it's fiction. Yeah. So like the, the first part of it is um, it basically follows. Uh, a, a guy who's just immigrated to the UK in the 60s and following the true story of my family, um, my uncle try, was moving to London to basically hang out with his best mate who just got a job as a juggler and was going to basically um, work different cabaret clubs in London as a juggler. And my uncle kind of went on ahead of him to find somewhere to stay. And my uncle basically couldn't find anywhere that would uh, take in taking a brown person and so the only place he could he could find to stay that were taking brown people was in Keithley which as as I'm sure everyone knows is not very near London <laughs> um, and so yeah the first part of the book is about um, a guy who's ended up in Keithley instead of London and he basically falls in love with the girl next door and she sort of convinces him to take part in this Diwali show and um, as the show goes on, they become besieged by um, the version of the BMP that existed in the 60s, who are called like the League of British Empire Loyalists or something like that. Um, and uh, and it, yeah, it's, it's very much like a How I Met Your Mother, but also with racists. Right. I, I was going to say that currently I'm on about page 50, and they are just doing the Diwali show now. So it feels like um, <laughs> it is about to get much darker. <laughs> Whereas I'm just yeah. enjoying the uh, sort of uh, fun, light comedy element currently before any oh, sort yeah. of anything yeah, horribly I've, I've, serious happens. At that point, I've drawn you with dick jokes, and now I'm like, oh, but also the world's racist. <laughs> um, I'm about to find out there's still racism in the world in the 60s, yeah. which, which is going to be a bit of a shocker when that turns up. That's very clever. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's pretty much what Black Klansmen did, I think. You know, yeah, I, I like thought that. Black- Black clans are always basically made for people who are still sitting on the fence about whether racism still a thing. Yeah, I oh, think right, that's purpose, yeah. right? It does have that. Cause it, even even the trailer for Black Klansman made it look much more like a broad comedy. Yeah, and it's just you sort of get the sort of insidiousness of it as it goes on. I went to a screening of it, and um, and at the end of the screening, I bumped into my friend and I said, "Oh, I've just seen." It was an advanced screening, mm-hmm. and, I, and I said, "Oh, I've just seen Black Klansman." And she said, uh, oh, it's a comedy. And I was like, is it? <laughs> because yeah, I think it has like, elements totally, of it. Yeah. Totally all over the place. I didn't know it was a comedy when I watched it. Um, uh, I've got very mixed feelings about how I felt about that film. But um, there's, a, there's a bit like... Obviously, I think racism it, it, is bad. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't one of my issues yeah. with the film. <laughs> I, I, I felt attacked for like an hour and a half. <laughs> Say that again, sorry. I, I wasn't sure who to side with in this film. I don't know where my sympathy lies. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Was it, was it with the Klansmen who had been <laughs> why was it, it with... Why do they keep getting at me? Oh, that um, no, that wasn't it. It was, the, it was part of the filmmaking, but yeah. And you do have a stand-up character in your, in your book as well. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I, I feel like the publishers have unfairly dis- described him as an unfunny comedian which is not true. Like, he's basically a stand-up who his sort of career is in its ascendancy. And um, as basically, as his career starts taking off, uh, he, he goes through a bereavement. And so he's sort of very publicly, like, trying to make people laugh that kind of grieving. And um, 
the his part basically takes the form of like a weird Christmas carol where like five people come into his life to kind of help him shape who he's going to become and what kind of stand-up he wants to be. Right. I remember that because I think there was that... Didn't you talk to Nish Kumar and some other people as well, didn't you? Yeah, so I, I like I basically asked Nish and uh, Josie Long uh, like loads of questions about what it is to be a stand-up. Like, and uh, how... like Because my, my feeling sort of going into it was like, the, the stand-up's job is to basically make people laugh as much as possible. And, and Josie broke it down for me very, really interestingly. She said, like, some jokes you go to certain certain types of laugh and you know what sort of laugh you're going for. I thought that was, like, a, a really interesting way of looking at mm. stand-up in a way that I hadn't considered before. Um, and also, like, really functional things about how um, how stand-ups are at Edinburgh. Because there's, um, there's a scene that kind of slightly mirrors Nish's own experience when that kind of instigated his last show where um, he was doing some Brexit humour and then someone tells him to go home and it was like the night of the referendum and so and something quite similar happens to my, one of my characters in the book. Right. But his dad, his dad is in the audience and his dad decides to heckle the heckle the racist and it kind of escalates from there. In, and hilarious hijinks. <laughs> but it's like I like that you have gone to stand-ups and asked them their experiences. And I guess that thing where you've been around stand-ups and you've got lots of friends who are stand-ups. And so I think you're a better place than most. But it is a funny thing to see in fiction, whether it's in books or in films or whatever, when you get those kind of very odd... Like, they often put stand-ups in where it bears no relation to, to, at all to seeing any kind of real-life stand-up and everything seems totally false or or like where do you even imagine <laughs> how do you imagine this actually goes down well i think most artists really like whether they would admit it or not like really need external validation in some sort right and i think it doesn't come any more viscerally than being in a room where the difference between a good night and a bad night is silence or laughter you know yeah and yeah. so i thought it was just an interesting space to put them in yes yeah um all right um yeah, that was an awkward silence. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was about to say that you, when we did those, when Richard Tannin as well did some of those um, spoken word nights, that you always have a bit that you can do at readings, right? So when you did, like, I remember you had Coconut Unlimited and you had, that was your first book, and you did a sort of, you always read a sort of funny bit from that that you could do in, like, five or ten minutes. And I remember at the time, I think, was it Meat Space, your second yeah. book? And you were trying to come up with something from that that was like, uh, um, what's the funny bit or what's the funny section that you can read at events and things? Yeah, and, and with this, there's like there's a funny bit of um, like my attempt at writing stand-up in this book. And, and what's funny is like whenever I do it, it sort of becomes Nish's voice in a really weird way. <laughs> uh, like my impression of how Nish would sound if he did five minutes on um, whether colonialism was shit or not. Right. <laughs> oh, so you, yeah, so you do actually have, you've written, essentially written stand-up within the fiction. Yeah, but the, but the good thing about it is because it's, it's a book, people don't need to laugh, so need to like know whether it's working or not. Yeah. And like you can always tell like a good reading when people find that bit funny rather than doing like literature face and just going, oh, yes, um, <laughs> good, good, uh, good jokes there. Sure. <laughs> and have you had another book out that's come out since? Yeah, I wrote uh, like my first book for teenagers, uh, which was out in June, called Run Riot, which 
is a thriller about gentrification because gentrification is the most thrilling of all like um, public services disasters affecting uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, but that's 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 how you do it, isn't it? You take a you take a thing and and you you, you make it relevant. Well, you kind of hide. It's a spoonful of sugar, isn't it? You hide the fact that you're being educational. It's like They Live by John Carpenter. Exactly. That's fan club. That's fan club, tidy old skiller. <laughs> um, what's that one called? It's called Run Riot. Run Riot. Okay. And are you, still, are you still boxing training? I am, yeah. So, like, <clears throat> uh, I wrote about this for The Observer. So I, I, I did a book a couple of years ago called The Good Immigrant, and I, we, we had loads of jumpers made that say The Good Immigrant on them, and uh, I nearly got attacked on a train. Oh, I yeah. people did not like my jumper, and oh my uh, after that, after that, I took up boxing because I, the thing that kind of terrified me in that moment was not that I couldn't defend myself, but that I just like all I needed to do was just get up and walk, walk to another carriage, and I just I just felt too terrified to do that. Yeah. And uh, the interesting thing about boxing is it kind of like teaches you like teaches you how to take up space and sort of be unapologetic about it. Yeah, sure. Uh, <clears throat> and and punch it really hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you very much for joining us, Nikesh. Yes. Um, uh, and your book, the one who wrote Destiny, is out in all good bookshops. As is, the Good Immigrant, Run Riot, Meat Space, Coconut Unlimited, and future books in the future. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for yeah, coming. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I was going to say thanks for coming in. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. uh, thank you for talking to us. Cheers. Cheers. See you later. Bye. Bye. Um, uh, I'm going to play a song. One, two, one, two, three, go. Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on Fubar Radio. You're listening to Nick and. Nats fucking fan hell man <laughs> fuck me Jesus Christ you listen to Nick and Nats fan club punch that like button and that was Black Lace on <laughs> that Radio. was Car- uh, Cla- Claudio Simonetti's Black Lace <laughs> <laughs> uh, a must a must for any Goblin fans Can't of course move. if you're a Goblin completist you why don't they play that why don't they play that at Union <laughs> Chapel whenever they're coming down for a fucking screening anyway we're currently joined by he's the happiest man uh, in in the world! <laughs> oh, thanks, mate. We're, yes. Hey, um, well done, guys. Finally, someone took down those Star Wars prequels. For far <laughs> too long, they've been celebrated so yes. highly. Yes. And finally, yeah. someone someone told it like it is. Yeah, but the thing is, okay, um, just just in case uh, n- no one's familiar with, uh, with his voice, this is Michael Legg. We're joined in the studio by Michael Legg, uh, the, the happiest man in the world. Um, just I tried to, to say, join in with your song, but I realised I didn't know the you words. You didn't know the words, uh, <laughs> but it's fine. I just wrote it for him today. Uh, I'll probably get some uh, PRS on that. Mm. Yeah, or as I like to call it, PPI. Um, yes. Really don't know much about my financial situation. <laughs> um, but um, so the, pre- the thing about the prequels is now that um, now that there are uh, sequels, the sequel mm. the sequel trilogy is almost done. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have a revisionist attitude towards the prequels where they go, oh no, they were great and they were George Lucas and they were brilliant. Well, the com- compared to Last Jedi, I mean, I think Last Jedi is absolutely the worst Star Wars movie. It's a hands down. But I've met loads of people who like it and you know what? Good. I couldn't care less. <laughs> yeah. Could not care less. I, I think that they're wrong. 
And I oh, think yeah, that, they're wrong. And I they're think, definitely wrong. Because I tell you, and, and she's listening, I tell you you liked uh, The Last Jedi. Helen Mirren. No, my, my mum. Right. All right. And she's a very casual Star Wars fan, and right. uh, she was happy to see Carrie Fisher on screen. Right. And her criteria for what she enjoyed about Star mm -hmm. Wars film completely different from mine. Yeah. Uh, she, you know, so uh, I think that I think that people that like the Last Jedi, they probably wouldn't like the Last Jedi. Um, <laughs> hmm, it's complicated. But that is always it. Always freaks me out when someone comes into the room. Uh, and walks really slowly around, mm. not making any noise. You may as well just make some noise because it's so distracting. Uh, thank you, Hannah, for my water that I asked for. <laughs> <laughs> and she came and she twiddled knobs on your desk like she was Marquis Smith from the fall. Absolutely, <laughs> I liked it. But my, my thing is that it's just kind of like um, uh, I don't know if you if you really love Star Wars. Not that if you really love Star Wars, mm. but. Um, if you like, I, to, to be honest, I don't think I really love Star Wars. Yeah, take that, next mum. I think no, 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 no. I'm not talking about my mum, but I'm just like saying she's a casual. She's a casual she's fan. She's not a real fan. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot more when I watched it with her. That was the third time I saw it. The Last Jedi. Yeah. Because I went to an early screening. Yeah. Um, no, so I was going to go with my friend from school, who uh -huh. we go. We've seen all the Star Wars films together, right? Right. Right, since, That's since, since the prequels. So I was going yeah, with my, I went friend with from my Star Wars friends too. And then on um, Boxing Day, we would go and see a Star Wars film because it gets us out of the house on Boxing Day and it's three hours where we don't argue. Mm -hmm. Right? Great. Lovely. Brilliant. Perfect. That, that is the spirit of Star Wars right there. So they were already booked in. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it on Boxing Day, but I'm going to go and see it with my friend before. Mm -hmm. And then there was an early screening, and it was just like, yeah, why not? When I say early screening, it came out on the Wednesday, and Adam, Adam Riches, name, name drop, uh, Adam Riches <laughs> said, sure. um, uh, he got a big group of us, and he said, hey guys, um, hey guys, uh, we're all going to go uh, and book tickets to see uh, The Last Jedi on the day it opens, right? Uh, mm -hmm. We're going to go at kind of like a midnight screening. Yeah, that's what I went on the, on the when I think it was the Wednesday or Tuesday night. We yeah. were going to see a, wid, a midnight screening. And we were just like, okay, and we get to see it like really early, but like before everyone else. That's great. And he was like, yeah, are you in? And we we're like, yeah, we're in. And then uh, he uh, he got back in contact. He said, I've got good news and bad news. And we're like, what? And he goes, well, well, the good news is I booked the tickets. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> goes, the bad news is uh, it's at. Uh, 5 a.m. on <laughs> on the Thursday. No, right on the Thursday, right? You so, went to uh, you went to see a screening at 5 a.m. Yeah, had to get up at uh, four. You didn't have to. Uh, yeah, we went, to see, to. we went to see a screening. And you'd already seen it, had you? No, this was the first time I'd oh, seen okay. it. But I would have I would have passed, you know. But it was weird because as I was watching it, when the, even when the opening crawl started, I was just like, something's off. And then I yeah. just. But you know, what? at the end of it, I liked... it wasn't it wasn't like the end of. Um, the uh, Phantom Menace, where I was absolutely livid, but the end of the Last Jedi went. Well, I don't care. It's at, not mine anymore, is it? At the end of the Phantom Menace, I still liked it. You're I thought I liked the Phantom Menace for a good ten months. Oh, you're kidding! Until me. it came out on VHS and See, I couldn't get thing. through it. I didn't even know of a review of Phantom Menace when I went to see it because I saw it in America weeks before it came out in the UK, mm. and went to see it so excited. Within ten minutes, was gone. Oh. God almighty, this is terrible. <laughs> mm. I remember shouting at a urinal right after that film. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't his fault. 
Well, it wasn't, but you know, sometimes you have to take it out on something, and that urinal was there. Unless and that was, was already urinating in it. Unless yeah. it was George Lucas, and yeah. uh, you're calling him a urinal. People must have thought you were having an argument with your own penis. Oh, well, not for the first time, not for the last time. <laughs> um, sure, okay. Um, but uh, but that was just, to, just, to, just to clarify... I had new information this week on the prequels, which okay. was that I watched I watched a, a, sure. a supercut of them all in one go, right. which was two and a half hours long, uh -huh. rather than six and Yeah, a half. That's, that's a bargain. And uh, it was better, but also it really highlighted how made for TV they are. Right. So... <laughs> And, uh, I closed. It's I closed. Quite a stirring speech. For the, uh, for the listeners, for the listeners at home, uh, on the end of that sentence, I closed the book in front of me uh, to to punctuate my point. Mm. Figuratively, uh, now and you're off the book. And literally, I'm, I'm just no, let's, I, let's not. I don't want people to tune in. If this is the first time you've listened, oh, uh, you're a cunt. But uh, if, uh, if, <laughs> if, if 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 this is the first time you listened, uh, I don't want you to think that we just talk about Star Wars and. Claudio Simonetti. <laughs> <laughs> things that we talk about. We talk about at least three other things. How are you, Michael? Are you right? Do you know what? I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm really good, yeah. Yeah? It's nice to listen to you guys on the way here. Oh, oh Were you listening nice. on the way in? So yeah. you knew what, 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 what live or an old Yeah, one? live. Yeah, so yeah. you knew what you were letting yourself in for. Us two mad buggers. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely bonkers so far. Bonkers. Uh, it's Sue Radio. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, um, Spile! Spile! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mad. Uh, we should really get sound effects. Can you make a note of that, Hannah, that we're going to get some uh, Black sound effects? Black and sound effects, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, I haven't heard Superman for fucking ages. No. Um, I remember but, when I was a kid, I thought it was related to the Superman franchise and right. thought I wanted it. You thought it was canon? Yeah, I thought it was part of the canon. Yeah. So hang on. You get a limited amount of records that you're allowed to play <laughs> during a trip, and that is one of the ones you chose. Yeah. Well, we were talking about it. It was one of the rare instances. We, okay. We're always fiddling with the format and, it's, sure. uh, <laughs> and there's always kind of like a moment where we'll mention something and we'll go, oh, we should bring that on. But we've got such a strict format at the moment. Yeah, so, no, no, I can tell. It's you very, can tell by listening. I'm surprised you have time for me, to be honest. <laughs> That, um, that, that sometimes it's nice to be a bit loosey-goosey with it all okay. and just go, do you know what? Fuck it. Whack on some black lace. <laughs> you know? yeah. Have a bit of fun. Um, it was on topic. And, uh, yeah, it is a bit topic. of fun, isn't it? And it's not an excessive <laughs> amount of fun. Um, so, but your, your show, Vitriola, uh -huh. th that you do, um, uh, is, uh, what's that like compared to this? Is, it, is, it, is this more um, fun or uh, less fun? Uh, so far, this has been a lot more fun. Uh Robin Ince and I do a podcast called Fitriola and we sit down and we eventually talk about music. We complain about a lot of things and then we get round to talking about music that we've listened to recently. My stuff will normally be some indie musician uh, that uh, has trouble selling records, whereas Robin's choices will be uh, theme tunes from adverts about biscuits. <laughs> I've done it, haven't I? I yeah, you have. You, you were on the Alice Cooper special. Who, who else would we ask? Um... I don't know. Well, Dan Marsh was the other person we Dan, asked. Dan Marsh. So Ross Lee, you could have asked Ross Lee. Oh, really? Ross Lee is probably the only person that um, I know that is more of an Alice Cooper fan than I am. Could have asked Alice Cooper. He has every right asked. to say no. Yeah, you could have asked him. Yeah. He probably could have done a 15-minute phoner. Yeah, sure. Uh, but Robin wasn't in that one, was he? No, and it's probably for the best. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, in as much as if we're going to talk about Alice Cooper... 
the last thing we need is him interrupting to talk about music from Biscuit Adverts. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, and me, you and Dan went to see the Hollywood Vampires. We did. Oh, yeah. For, yeah. for Dan's birthday. I was for, for Dan's birthday. It's, it, it was mixed emotions, wasn't it, really, that gig? <laughs> I just, uh, Great to see Alice Cooper. Great to see my uh, childhood hero, and still to this day, Johnny Depp, sing <laughs> sure. We Could Be Heroes in front of yeah. a festival audience. Is it all covers? Yeah. It was fucking yeah. mental. The whole yeah, fucking it was, I thing mean, was Johnny Depp singing that song of all songs. So, yeah, we could be. i tell you how you can be a hero, Johnny. <laughs> What's that? Uh, by knuckling down and doing good work like he did 15 years ago and not what you do these days. And fucking, um, yeah, right. Um, I think what we mean is that don't, don't do spousal abuse. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. Um, allegedly. Or, is it, or has he been done for it? I don't know. I don't know. We'll but, find um, out if we get sued. We'll find out if we get sued. But, uh, mm. but yeah, it was, it was a weird experience where... Um, oh, I loved it, though. Yeah. It was good. It was just covers. Yeah, that's right. Was this the one no, where you're telling three, me that... There's three original songs, and then it was just covers. But you missed The Damned. The Damned were a support band, and they were absolutely fantastic. Yeah, but you missed The Darkness, and The Darkness were also a support band, and darkness, I really enjoyed them. Yeah, you enjoyed them. I'm sure you did. The darkness, mean they were the good. darkness are always good. Oh yeah. Oh, do you know what the whole Black Lace record now is making a lot more sense? <laughs> uh, don't you? Don't you tarnish the good name of Black Claudio Simonetti's Black Lace with mm. uh, with uh, saying that they're the same as the darkness? They're not. They're completely different bands. And I think oh, yeah, if you yeah, actually yeah. gave them half, uh, I mean, the, half a chance, then you'd, you'd realise that. I mean, and I think quality. deep down in your heart, you probably do realise that, Michael, that they are different. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the darkness, is there a thing that it is a joke? Is it meant to be a sort of fun... They're sort of like um, buccaneers, aren't they? They're like no. uh, buccaneers of the sea that are there for a, there for a bit of fun, but in actual fact, the music is they take the music they take the musicianship seriously, but um, they kind of take the piss a bit on stage. Mm. I think I think that their first two albums were excellent. You're a big Queen fan, aren't you? Yeah, I'm a big Queen. You're looking forward to that fucking film that's coming out. Oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the fucking film. Yeah, it's coming out on IMAX. <coughs> IMAX yeah, are yeah. doing it. Yeah, is it IMAX? Is it meant to be terrible? I heard a really weird radio advert. Right, I've heard two things about it. One from someone saying, honestly, it's absolutely appalling. And the thing is, it looks, it doesn't look great. No. But I have also heard from someone else who is, I'm not going to name him. Let's guess who he is. Probably the biggest Queen fan in the country. And he said, he phoned me immediately after seeing it. And he just went, honestly, it's absolutely brilliant. And as much as I respect his opinion, I can't help but think I have to take it with a pinch of salt. Who was it? John Robbins. Right, yeah, sure, of course. That's what I was thinking. And I just thought, no. But I I enjoy a music biopic. Because part of what I enjoy about them is often how awful they are. Oh, yeah. They did that Channel 5 one a while ago when we were filming Loaded. That did the round on on set where we just would come in and go, can't believe that Channel 5 have made this documentary about Queen when none of them look like. uh, Amazing, isn't it? It was was absolutely amazing. Um, Stunning. uh, And they'd come come in the green room and they'd say, uh, 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 Live Aid, and they'd come in the green room and go, oh, we absolutely nailed it we absolutely nailed it uh, yep. is Elton on yeah. did you hear what Elton, Elton said Elton. oh it yeah. was <laughs> nuts it was um, nuts the, the advert I heard in, in the car on, on my way back from the gym this morning uh, uh, working what all day what were you doing in the gym uh, did, what wasn't I doing well we, I can tell what you weren't doing it was uh, it was chest and arm day today sure um, 
But, uh, <laughs> but I came back. I can tell. Just let me do. You've got one big arm and a massive chest. <laughs> well, that's from. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, it's a family show. It's. <laughs> Wanking. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's the Manson family, but it is a family show. <laughs> the, the, the advert I heard, keep it light. Uh, the advert I heard was uh, <laughs> they said, they said, fucking, in the, on the advert for Bohemian Rhapsody, the new queen film, they said, oh, and it's a really weird advert. It's when they get sort of like, because it's on, because uh, it's a radio advert, they're not like showing clips. They're just sort of like, these are opinions. This is what Paul oh, right. Ross thinks, you know. Right. Um, I don't know. I don't think that's probably an outdated. He's, he's, I see him a lot less on uh, on film posters these days. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. It's probably an outdated reference. But um, <laughs> but. Uh... <laughs> and yet there was a time, wasn't there? You see, there was a time where if you wanted an opinion, you oh, knew right. where you where to go for it. There was a time when he was on posters less than he was right. on meow meow. So. So it's kind of like there's a journalist or there's a reviewer that's saying, um, mm-hmm. Bohemian Rhapsody. Wow, what a film! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's you, a film. It's, yeah, that doesn't necessarily like when, a good review. It's no. like when, when <laughs> Laurence Olivier uh, used to come and see a play from one of his friends and he would think it was shit and he'd go up to them afterwards and he goes, Darling, you've done it again. <laughs> 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 and anyway, so, uh, so he, goes, well, he goes, Wow, what a film. If anyone out there ever wants to know what it was like to be on stage during Live Aid, then Bohemian Rhapsody is the film. And actually, it's even a good film, even if you don't like Queen. <laughs> and it's going to go really? like, so desperate. Because that's, the, so thing desperate. Of, that's yeah. the thing no, about... We're not going to talk about anything that's, about that. That's the thing I always think about the film Downfall. It's a good film, even if you don't like Hitler. It's, a, <laughs> it's actually quite a good film. It's actually a better film if you don't like Hitler, because I see it as a weepy. Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers as well. Uh, spoiler. Um... But that's also like if you want to know what it's like being on stage in Live Aid, maybe watch the footage from Live Aid rather than a film. I don't film. know if you'd know what it would be like being like, I don't know, Francis Rossi by just watching the footage. Don't you have an imagination? Why can't you guess what it would be like to be on stage at Live Aid? I think it's really unfortunate because um, I went to see A Star Is Born, and that although, is it's, although it's not a perfect film, uh, it is not. Th- there are some there are some good bits, and I think that the opening the opening gig. <laughs> Where they do the thing uh-huh. and the way the camera comes on and the mm-hmm. way it makes you feel like you're part of that yeah. festival crowd. I think that that is one of the best filmed gigs I've ever seen. And within t- you know two weeks, uh, they've got Dexter Fletcher from uh, Press Gang uh, has done his version of Live Aid. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I think that it's probably an unfortunate thing to come out two weeks after one of the best filmed live gigs on film from A Star Is Born. Two weeks later, you've got a bunch of guys in smithy wigs pretending to be <laughs> from Queen. I think yeah. it's unfortunate. Do you have unfortunate a favourite musical biopic? Uh, I'm going to go for uh, Hysteria, the story of Def Leppard. Absolutely amazing. That it's film incredible. is absolutely amazing. It's, it's incredible. Like, um, it's like uh, they filmed... Uh, it's set in Sheffield, but they filmed, yeah, it, filmed, on, in they filmed it in Burbank or something. Yeah, you know it was I mean? in Canada. Oh, wow. They filmed it in Canada. Yeah. So they've got these red, uh, lo- they've got these red um, post boxes. That are yeah. sh- but the sky, I mean, there's something about the film quality <laughs> yeah, that yeah. makes it feel like it's America or yeah, California yeah. or it, Canada. Yeah. I mean, oh, that sounds like a great one. I've not seen. They, this at they all. drive right at the beginning. They drive down a highway. 
an American <laughs> highway. Oh. And then there's the big British road sign going, Sheffield, this way. See, I always thought that... Because that, that's, that's a flash forward, isn't it, to when he gets in the car yeah. crash and loses his arm. I mean, do you know what? I, I, I really like uh, Rick... What's his name, the drummer? Rick? I don't know, mate. Uh, Rick the drummer, that's his name. I really like him, and I really like Def Leppard. But uh, in that scene, I thought fucking good he deserves this because he de- <laughs> you know, he does he deserves to lose an arm because he put his own album on to impress a girl that he's driving with what a fucking arsehole I, I is just, that just in the film though or no that, that really the- happened oh, did it? and she said to him you deserve to get your arm ripped off <laughs> did she say that <laughs> I, don't think that's, I don't think that's a deserveable thing I put my is albums on when, I put my albums on when I fuck yeah sure but, you know, no one's listening to them. No one else is there. So, I mean, that's fine. No. Come on, guys. They are. They are there. Oh, well, they are, all right. Yeah, they are there. You lost an arm <laughs> doing that as well, didn't you? Lost an arm. No, I yeah. gained, gained more arm. Yeah, if anything. <laughs> if anything. You've got too much arm. Um, so, It'd be uh, terrible if Rick that, the Drummer came in now and saw you having too much arm. Is that one? Is it, is it called The Birth of the Beatles, which has um, Nick Cotton as George Harrison? What? They used to show that one a lot. Is that, a, wow. is that like an official piece of... Uh... It's not official. I mean, it's not Apple. It's not an Apple product. But it's like, I think, again, it's probably sort of Canadian or something. But they at least sort of half, make half an effort to have it set in England a bit. John, John Altman. Altman? Yeah. Nick what, Nick, is that Nick Cotton? Wow. I could have told you that. Um... Okay, so, okay, so, hysteria, the yeah. Def Leppard thing, uh, that's that's it's got the guy from Sixteen Candles and uh, Breakfast Club in it who grew really? up to be really beefy. He plays uh, the producer. Oh, does he? I don't quite. Is remember it Mutt that. Lang? Yeah, the producer is Mutt Lang. Yeah, so it's um, Anthony Michael Hall. Who oh, is he? So, so you know the nerd out of. Uh, no, I know who he is. Uh, yeah. but I didn't recognise him as. Uh, yeah, but like in, in, in he's he plays the nerd in Breakfast Club, yeah. which was like 1986, and then in 1990 he is play he plays the bully in Edward Scissorhands, and he's all fucking yeah. beefed yes, up, yes, and he's yeah. like the jock now. It's kind of like it was a real weird transformation. Really weird. Like, yeah, because he doesn't look like himself. Doesn't look like it. I mean, I watched Edward Scissorhands ten times before I realised it was right. him. And now he's kind of like he was in The Dark Knight and other things. And he had a like TV show. He was in um, the oh, the Dead Zone TV series. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Um, yeah, and I think he plays Matt Lang in uh, the Def Leppard uh, film. Uh, the, that album, the uh, Pyromania, mm-hmm. that was kind of uh, it was the same guy that produced Thriller, wasn't it? And um, I thought Matt Lang produced. Pyromania as well. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Sorry. Did Matt Lang so, also so, marry Shania Twain? Yeah, and produced Shania Twain. And he produced... And produced Sh- ACDC. Right, but he produced uh, Thriller, and then when they were doing Pyromania... He, did, he didn't produce Thriller. Who produced Thriller then? Nick Quincy Jones. Yeah. Well, someone produced... No, no, no. Oh, sorry. someone produced so, Thriller. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> he didn't just press record and hope for the best. Pyromania sold as many t- uh, as, almost yeah. as many uh, album sales as Thriller. Right. Yeah, but that's not the same as. But when he came in, it. when he came in, when they were producing, when they were producing Pyromania, what yeah. they would do is rather than play chords, uh-huh. he would uh, they would take everything down to its its bare bones. Right. So they would play the individual notes, and then they would put them together uh, in the edit right. as a chord. So the guy would just be playing like one string. This seems like a really big t- waste of everyone's would, time. And he would take it. No, it's one of the best produced rock albums ever made, Pyromania. Oh, Pyromania we're talking about now. Yeah, what do you think we're talking I about? I thought we were talking about Thriller. Mate, we're not talking about Thriller. 
did I just dream whilst talking about Thriller? I'm pretty sure we talked about Thriller. Talking about album sales, and then we were over with Thriller. Oh, sure, okay, right, and now we're back on Pirate Man. I was talking to someone the other day about Thriller, and it's one of the most uh, poorly titled songs of all time. Thriller. It should be called <laughs> Horror. Yeah, that's true. You're it right, is a horror right. song. Because yeah. a thriller is like sure. Cary Grant running along a train sure. or Sharon yeah. Stone getting a muffin. We should have had. Um, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's a thriller. That's a thriller. But like a horror film is yeah. what he's describing. With werewolves Alfred and zombies. Hitchcock rather than Vincent Price to do a voiceover. It's, uh, it's, it's weird. It's a, it's, it is. You're right, I don't think it's the worst thing he's done. <laughs> well, I guess we have a difference of opinion. <laughs> It's agreed to disagree. Um, yes, okay, cool. Um, uh, yeah, that is a good one. So what's the, tell me about this Beatles one. Well, it's like, that's it. It's got like sort of, there's loads of them, isn't there, like that? The Birth of the Beatles used to be, I, I think it's made, it's not a British film, definitely American, and again, filmed nowhere near the UK. But it has at least got some British stars in it. And when I say stars, I mean John Altman. <laughs> Nick, Nick Garton from EastEnders. Yeah, of course it was. Of course it was produced by Quincy Jones. Um, have, you, uh, have you watched that Quincy? There's a documentary on... on oh, there is, isn't and there? And it's called Quincy, because it's about Quincy Jones. I keep thinking it's about that detective. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, they he remade... wasn't a detective. They remade... He's a doctor, wasn't he? Yeah. They've re- they remade... They remade Quincy and put it on a Netflix series. <laughs> <laughs> and then I realised, oh, no, it's a documentary. Tried watching it. It was a difficult documentary to get into. Yeah, the other people we've been told... We've been, we've been given who the other cast was in The Birth of the Beatles. Bloody hell. But Fuck no. hell, John Lennon was in it, Paul McCartney, <laughs> George Harrison. Oh, Yeah, John Lennon and Paul McCartney play themselves and John Altman plays Sorry. George Harrison. <laughs> I didn't realise there, there were brackets. So there's, there's brackets behind Do you know them. what? That's the thing about John and Paul. If, if, if you want something done properly, you do it yourself. What about me? What about Ringo? Ringo's, Ringo's not there. No, no one cares about Ringo. Uh, Rod Culbertson played Paul McCartney. Uh, oh, I love Rod John Lennon played Stephen McKenna. <laughs> John Lennon, imagine, uh, imagine if they were doing a, the a, Beatles a, a did a, biopic. a biopic of the birth of the Beatles. <laughs> the Beatles came back together. To do. John Lennon played Stephen <laughs> McKenna. Paul McCartney <laughs> played Rod Culbertson, and George Harrison ended up doing EastEnders for twenty years. It was terrible. Uh, Ray Ashcroft, of course, as Ringo. Um, and he went on to a great voice. No, It'd be good if George <laughs> Harrison did one episode of EastEnders as Nick Cotton, but no one mentioned it. You just you just had to watch an entire episode where Nick Cotton was played by George Harrison. That's the exact sort of thing that he would do, though, wouldn't it? George, it? George Harrison. <laughs> he was always poking up at the back of a shot of something, wasn't he? <laughs> I'm thinking specifically of that one film. Uh, oh, Life of Brian. Life of Brian, yeah. Which he produced. <laughs> yes, he did. I think he was he in Time Bandits as well, or have I dreamt that? I may oh, have maybe. That. I think you'll find uh, that was <laughs> <laughs> David Warner. Oh well, <laughs> I love Time Bandits. Oh. Uh, I've never never got through it all. What? I've never got through all Get the out Time of town. Bandits. Yeah. That's that's quite a it's quite a statement. Nah, it's a really good movie. Well, go, go, watch the end and tell us if George Harrison pops I've up in the, the back. End. I think, just find it. Tedious. I think it's one of the best. I don't get on with. I, I, don't, I don't get on with Terry Gilliam. Okay. Well. I like Twelve Monkeys. Sure, never seen it. But the others I couldn't give a monkeys. Whoa! Oh, no, no, no. I, 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 I want to like him always more. I always want like him, want to like him more than I like him. Sure, but that's just yeah. I watched him buying a fireplace once. That was good. 
Who, Terry Gilliam? Yeah, just watched him. When he bought a fireplace. I, uh, he bought a mad fireplace. So you're in a shop? Yeah, it was like um, uh, an, an, like an antique yard. Right. Yeah, and, he, and I saw him go in and I went, oh, he'll be buying something mad. And he did. He bought a mad fireplace. Terry mm. Gilliam has that laugh, doesn't he, that goes... Yep. <laughs> yeah, can't do it. I bet John can do it. I'll do um, a recording. I like Terry Gilliam as a man, but um, his films are just kind of like... You know, he was just like, I can't believe that I didn't get director's cut, and it took me twenty years. You really I've don't like the, Brazil. I've seen the final thing, and it's fucking yeah, awful. Like oh, I do like Brazil too. Yeah, too. Like Brazil, twelve monkeys. Like, um. uh, yeah, <laughs> I keep listing them. I've never got all. Of them. Anyway, my, me and my dad were walking through Fitzrovia, uh, uh -huh. and uh, and uh, we went past a kind of a bit of a rundown Indian restaurant. Right, and uh, I thought I spotted Terry Gilliam <laughs> in the window. What an amazing right. story! And we walked past. It wasn't definitely. <laughs> no, hang on, no, I wasn't sure. So we walked past, and we got to the end of the road, and I just said, "Dad, I don't know if you know who this is, but I think I've just seen Terry Gilliam in the window of that Indian restaurant." And he went, "Terry Gilliam? Yeah, I know who Terry Gilliam is." And. Uh, and I said, well, I think that he was in there. And he goes, well, let's have a look. And I said, yeah. we can't just have a look. And you he goes, a bit of a look. So I said, we can't just have a look. And so my dad went, well, I'll do it then. And uh, this is so unlike him. He crossed over the road. He did a loop. And he just casually sort of like walked by, not looking in the window. And then he crossed over when he was past the window. And he <laughs> walked past. And he just leant over, looked, <laughs> looked right in the window, at the <laughs> pretending he was looking at the menu. Sure. Uh, looked right in the window. And then he looked over. Uh, and then he turned around to me. And he was just like, thumbs up. It's him. <laughs> it's like, yes. Brilliant. I was taking photos of him as he was doing it. It was so out of character. Mind you. A lot of my stories about my dad are things that he's doing that are out of character, and I think actually maybe yeah. th they're in character. Maybe you don't really know. Him. Maybe I don't know. Him. Like I, I See, I once I once went into a quite a rundown um, uh, Indian restaurant in Shepherd's Bush, and uh, the Dixie Chicks were in there, and I didn't expect the Dixie Chicks wow. to be in there. Yeah, I wouldn't have expected the Dixie Chicks. To I would have expected them to be in Dixie, Dixie Fried, Fried Chicken. Chicken. Yeah, and the thing is, yes. Thing is, that night they went on stage at the Shepherd's Bush Empire and said that they thing had the that shits. was anti George Bush, and they got into a lot of trouble. Was, was that, that the that night? night? Yeah, maybe um, it was the Vindaloo doing all yeah, the talking. Yeah, might have been. Yeah, anti George Bush mm. and Uncle George Bush. Eh? Am I right? <laughs> there we go. That's good. Um, now, you, now, now, whenever you see George Bush on a thing, you go. Oh, I miss him. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's weird. funny, isn't it? It's really <laughs> uh, weird. Our affection. Did you see that there was a there was a shot of George Bush um, uh, at uh, what, what was that funeral that was recently? Someone died recently. Uh, oh shit! Oh, loads of people. It was, oh. uh, By the way. It was uh, McC McCain. John McCain. John McCain. John McCain. John McCain. The oh, oven right. chips. From Die Hard. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, and John McCain from Die Hard died recently. Finally. And uh, the Obamas and the Bushes so that's went, been tricky. went to the... Because it was really hard. <laughs> but um, uh, the Obamas and the Bushes were sat next to each other at the f funeral. And there's mm -hmm. one uh, shot of George W. Bush getting out a packet of sweets out of his pocket and, and handing one over to Michelle Obama. And you just like go, that's the sweet... That was, it was one of the sweetest things you've ever seen. Uh, and you go, yeah, but the death of millions. Yeah. What a warmonger. Still, you know, he's still, so sweet. He hasn't got ridiculous hair. Yeah. No. God, you do miss him. 
It's crazy. Uh, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. <coughs> allegedly uh, you don't want George W. Bush coming down on you. Mm. We're trying to get him on the phone next week, aren't we? Yeah. He'll, he'll ruin that. He does. He, he paints pictures as well. He does art. Does he? Yeah, he's got like a collection of. Do you know, I'm really pictures. warming to him. <laughs> paints pictures and he gives sweets to people. Yeah, yeah. he seems lovely. Yeah, <laughs> Rolf Harris. Uh, God, I don't know. I think some, <laughs> I think some people are lovely. They just uh, shouldn't be in right. charge of the country. Yeah, I think some people are lovely. I'll definitely give you that. Some oh. people are lovely. Yeah, yeah, but I think that given the power to. Uh, yeah, that's true. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, I reckon if you were Prime, oh, prime Minister... Honestly, it'd be a nightmare. Absolute it'd, nightmare. You'd be a total cunt. The prisons would be full. So probably, you know, slightly more palatable than you are now. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's a thing on our screen which has now what, been underlined, what, what, which says, what music does Michael discuss on his podcast? This is how we should do it. It should yeah. be kind of like, what was that, what was that I, TV show? I should have brought in my own questions, to be fair. I'm very lazy. <laughs> what was that TV show in the 90s where they'd get like a celebrity come in and then they would press buttons on a, on a screen? Um, star screen. Star screen. I don't think I it's know Star Channel 4 screen. thing. I had no presenter and it was just Whoa. like a camera on them and they would be like, press a button oh, and a robot yeah. voice would go. It would be Bross would come in yeah. and yeah. Then press, a, the press a screen and then, yeah. Or no, Philippa d- Forrester. Yeah. Mm. I remember like once... It was Jules Holland. He pressed the button and a, a robotic voice said, when was the last time you had sex outside? And I thought, I don't want to know. None of my business when, what Jules Holland gets up to. I'd want to know if it was like in my driveway or something. <laughs> when was but the it la- was. That's yeah, what well, I was asking. Well, I'd want to know. When was the last time you had sex outside your gene pool? Whoa. <laughs> when was the last time you had sex outside your species? I would. Or when was not. the last time you had sex inside your species? Oh, when was the last time you had sex inside your own anus? <laughs> star screen, star screen. It, it's too much. I'm going back to my hootenanny. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it important? Why is that important question? It's not a good question. It is. It's a very good question. What music do you discuss on your podcast? Well, I mean, that's (laughs) the wonderful thing about Vitriola. We discuss all sorts, but mainly the music that I listen to. Is Vitriola a word? Yeah. Well, it's not just a noise, is it? Well, I thought that. Oh, it's a made-up word. Yeah, it's not a real word. I thought it might be like a a pun on. It's um, not a pun, but what? What I want to do, the podcast to sound like, I want it to sound like a classic old-time record label. Yeah, that's mm. what I yeah. thought. It was like a combination between... And Robin and I are very angry. Yeah. We're both grumpy men. Yeah. So we thought, well, I thought Vitriola... He he totally didn't like the name, but I'd already set up the Twitter account, so that, that was that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't go back once you've got the Twitter account. And it doesn't matter what things well, are called. Well, you can. They no, just become that thing anyway, don't exactly. they? Exactly. You can. Uh, but, uh, and, and people still follow NTP Helm. Uh, Oh, yeah? But I lost the password. Oh, well, bummer. I mean, I'm still promoting 2012's This Means War on it. Mm. So, come on, guys, it's probably not me. <laughs> but if you're listening, please follow NTP. <laughs> <laughs> the Nick Helm. <laughs> at twitter.co.uk. Is that how it works? Twitter.com. Dot com. Hit that like button. Dot <laughs> com. Nick Helm and the... Th- so, nice. uh, <laughs> and we're back. We're joined in the studio by Michael Leggy. Hey, really good to be here, guys. <laughs> good um, to be back oh, in the madhouse. Should we play your song? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we're in the mad. Um, so, yeah, uh, do you want to play the song? <laughs> well, let's play a song. Um, it's not my song. It's, it's a, just a song I've chosen. It's a bit weird because it's your absolute favourite song. Yeah, it's definitely up there. 
okay. I don't know this band Weird. at all. We've already played it once, but... One, two, three, go! This is not my favourite yeah. song. So, uh, what's, yeah. your, what's your favourite song? The song that I have chosen is by a band called Mouthful. Mouthful. Uh, and they're really good. They're sort of mid-90s queercore band. And that's all I'm going to say about them. Okay. They're really, really good and they're well worth uh, listening to. Uh, and we have talked about them a lot on Vitriola. That's Vitriola, if you want to download the podcast with me and Robin. It's which talking is, about music. Which is a made-up word. On Fubar Radio. I like a medley. I like the way yeah, it did become a medley. It medleyed out. I yeah, really I really like it. Like it. They wrote all of that song, by the way. Except for the medley. No, 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 they wrote those. They oh, wrote cool. That. Yeah, they, that was really they've good. They've done a summer bit as well. Yeah, they've done a summer. Well, they should probably check their PPI. Yes. Hmm. A lot of people ripping them off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thanks for playing that. I enjoyed no, my that. Pleasure. I enjoyed that a lot. No, I really Thanks enjoyed listening to it, and uh, and I loved the way that you embraced me and caressed me throughout the playing of that song. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. It's, so, nice to, it's nice to hold someone when you're listening to a little bit of art. It's gone quiet. You did that. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you you like Iggy Pop, don't you? I love Iggy Pop. I think he's all we have left. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't think there's anyone quite like him, and I think he's more important now than he's ever been. He is literally a symbol of freedom. That's what <laughs> I think of Do you think it's because he's the last man standing? He, he is. When, when a band, like there's loads of bands out right now that have made their first album, and their album's probably got to number one or top ten or whatever, and they've gone, we've made it. Hmm. No, you have not. You have just got a number one record. Yeah. If you're 71... And still screaming your lungs out and wrecking your own body for, yeah. in, for the name of art, then you've made it. Yeah. 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 I, I, I would say that even Alice Cooper doesn't compare to anything like that. For someone what? who has abused his body mm. physically. Continue to abuse his body. Yeah. Alice Cooper hasn't drunk since the mid 80s. And for Iggy but Pop, actually, I mean, I've seen gigs with Iggy Pop when he was off drugs. Yeah. And he comes out and all of his veins are poking out. Yeah. And you go, yeah, yeah, right. But what are you on then? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, uh, in many ways, you could say, well, he hasn't done anything to his body because that's not his body. That's Jim Osterberg's body. He's ruining. Yes. Right. Iggy Pop is, Iggy Pop's a, a fictional character. <laughs> so, you know, he's just off being a, an evil little pixie and ruining a man's life. Do sure. you like seeing Iggy Pop? As I do, Michael, when Iggy put, pop, puts his glasses on. Do you know, oh, yeah. Oh, I love it. I love yeah. it because it makes yeah. you go, oh, he's yeah. just got, he is, he is an actual 71 year old man. He so when he's doing is. an interview or something, and you just see him get his glasses out and put yeah. them on onto this, this sort of ultimate rock star mm. visage of him. And he just has a little nice pair of reading glasses he puts on to it's read true. something. It's it, really sweet. It is really sweet. And the thing is, I love. Um, drugged out slashing his own stomach with a broken bottle stooges eggy but equally you're absolutely right I like you know old glasses wearing talking to a parakeet uh, 
a parrot, whatever bird he's got. Mm. Uh, Iggy as well. But I think he's one of those people, I guess, like Bowie and like people. He, he seems like he still enjoys music. He's yeah. not someone who seems to record something in the 70s and then they have that thing where they just sort of lose interest when they hit right. 30 or something. Well, he's just released a record with <laughs> Underworld, which is absolutely fantastic. His last album, uh, Post Pop Depression, is it's almost as good as anything he's ever really done in his back catalogue, which for someone who was 71... It's, I mean, yeah. other than Bowie, <clears throat> I mean, Bowie's last couple of albums were, you know, excellent. I mean, yeah. Uh, I make... can't just talk about him all the time, but I mean, Alice Cooper still really. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, he is brilliant. You can talk about him. Yeah, he's, sure. he's a comparable person musically. Yeah, and, I think so. His, well, they're the same era. They all started off in Detroit, didn't they? Mm. So it's yeah, and Iggy like, loves Alice Cooper. They're, com- they're, they're all contemporaries. Them. But um, my, um, so I, I have a, I have a sometimes band mm-hmm. and the bass player in my band is called Ben Ellis and he's Iggy Pop's bass player. Wow. So, um, so Iggy Pop was, um, cool. Uh, he was opening for the Ash versus Evil Dead premiere in Los Angeles. And I got invited to go to it. And I was just like, I'm not going to go to Los Angeles to watch an hour of telly. Uh, and then... We've got telly over here now. Yeah, but it was like... It was at, it was at, it was at yeah. Graham's Chinese Theatre. So on Hollywood Boulevard. Mm-hmm. And it was like this big... Pre- it was the premiere of like... The, it was an hour pilot of Ash vs. Evil Dead. And uh, Bruce Campbell was going to be there and all that stuff. And I got invited. And I was just like, <clears throat> oh, well, I can't. I can't obviously go. And then... Um, uh, I emailed Ben Ellis. It said it said that um, Iggy Pop was going to open. So I emailed Ben and I said, "Are you going to do it?" And then he was just like, "Oh yeah, we're opening for it." I said, "Wow!" And then I phoned my mum and she said, "You've liked Uber Dead for twenty years, so split a train ticket, split a plane a plane ticket over twenty years, and then is it worth it?" And I said, "Probably." So I went. Oh, um, you did go. I did go. Oh, I this did is go. a lovely story. I, I met Bruce Campbell. Uh, but that's a that's a weird story. Sure, maybe for another time. But um, my point is that uh, Iggy Pop came out and he did it, and then I got to hang out backstage with uh, Ben. And uh, yeah, he really loves working with him. I thought I was. He's going not on to... the albums. They're not on the albums. No, they have a I know, I know, different... I know. It's I know the it's the Kevin Armstrong lineup. He's in. Yeah. Uh, I I thought I was going to meet Iggy Pop last year, and even on the day, part of me was going, don't. Don't let this happen because it'll be a freaking nightmare. And I 50-50 regret that the fact that it didn't happen. But equally, I'm like, Mick Niggy Pop would be terrifying. I, I Absolutely terrifying. I wouldn't regret it. I've got, like, uh, I've got three heroes, maybe, or four. Santa. And, uh, Santa. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trump. Sure. <laughs> uh, Hitler's not around anymore, which is a shame. No. Um, not here to defend himself, so we shall say nothing. <clears throat> uh, so what was it? So, um, so I met Alice Cooper a few times. Yeah, uh, which is just you know, I just didn't need to. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I think everything that I get from uh, everything that I love about Alice Cooper, I get from going to see him on stage. Right. I don't want to hang out with him afterwards. What's going to happen? He, you know. Yeah, that um, Mila Wauquie stuff might actually uh, be very close to the truth. Well, I, if it was, that would be excellent, but it, it wouldn't even be that. And I yeah. have met him three times, and uh, and it, it, that doesn't even come close to, right. to it. You just, uh, do you regret it, though, or do you just not care? 
No, I don't care about that. I don't care about that because um, because I never want. I, I was working on a red carpet twice, two of the times, and mm. another time I had the backstage pass and we went and got a photo with him. I've got a photo of myself with that. That's all. Mm. But I, that, he's not going to say, "Hey, do you want to come and hang out with us on tour?" Well, that was the thing. So we went backstage for in 2005 when I was living in Brighton. We went. Uh, Twisted Sister supported him. And uh, me and my friends went, and my ex-girlfriend came with us, and uh, and then Twisted Sister came on, and um, then in the break between Twisted Sister and Alice Cooper, my ex-girlfriend asked me back out, and I was just like, of course. So I was already happy. And then Alice Cooper came out, and it was incredible, and we were with all of our best mates, and it was amazing. And then at the end of it, my mate turned around and said, I've got backstage passes. And I was just like, I don't want to go. Wow! I asked, I begged anyone to take the backstage pass, and uh, no. Because you've had such a good night, that such you good were night. feared you would ruin it by. And then, um, and then I went, and it was great. But we queued up for ages. Haven't I told this story before? You've told me in real life, but um, I don't think I'm there. So we queued up for ages in uh, uh, to to meet him, and we mm-hmm. go and uh, we get to the final thing, uh, and he's there, and he's like he's shorter than me, so it's kind yeah. of like. Oh wow! And he just and he looked and this was like he was, this is like fifteen years ago, so uh, or thirteen years ago. So he was younger than he is now, but even back then he looked like a melted candle. Sure, right? Yeah. And uh, he was—he's uh, got a look. And he was kind of there, and um, and then it was our turn, and he stands there and he puts his arms around us and poses for the picture, and I just go, "Oh my God, you're my biggest all-time hero of all time ever." I said, "Oh well, you and Bruce Campbell." And then he, uh, <laughs> and then he goes, uh, "Well, here's a story about Wolf Cameron." Oh, that's nice. And at the end of it, at the end of it, I turned around and I just said, "I'm terribly sorry. I forgot to listen to anything that you just said." I was so overwhelmed by the fact that you had your around me. And, uh, and uh, we, walked, we walked off, and we were in this holding Brilliant. area. We are in this holding area where there's all these other... Holding one, area. There's this one guy that's... This There's this one guy that's dressed up as Alice Cooper. And you go, that'd be the fucking last thing I'd want to see. If I was Alice Cooper, I'd come off stage and I would go, where are my fans? Oh, it's a guy that's dressed up as me. Just get your own fucking identity. Fucking hell. Do you know what? Um, I, once did, I once did a warm-up for a TV show that Julian Lennon was on and so many Beatles fans got tickets for it and so many of them were dressed as John Lennon. <laughs> <laughs> I said, do you really think this is what he wants to yeah. see? Well, that's the worst thing was I was there dressed as Mark Chapman. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a terrible... I mean, in terrible hindsight, I thought, oh, actually, I've, <laughs> I've misjudged I was this. embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. I was a bit embarrassed by it. Yeah, fucking hell. Um, yeah. No, but it was, I don't think it's... I don't think, it's like one of those things where you go, oh, I've told you this story where I met Alice Cooper and it's funny. Mm. But um, it's well, I, like, I like the story where he tells you a story about Bruce Campbell. That seems really sweet that he's gone, oh, you like Bruce Campbell? I'll, I'll tell you about when I met Bruce Campbell. Actually, you, yeah. That's because, quite nice. Because uh, sometimes when you meet people, uh, you've got, uh, they, they take your money and then they smile for the camera and then they go, no, because uh, Sylvester Sloan did an audience with... Uh, um, a, a, a night with Sylvester Stallone, which was they do these things where they get Hollywood stars and they yeah. put them in the London Palladium, and Jonathan Russell interview them. Right. And actually, the Sylvester Stallone one that I saw was incredible. But I if thought you, for a minute you were going to go, Steve, uh, Sylvester Stallone was on an audience with Joe Pasquale. <laughs> <laughs> Ask him a question. 
<laughs> but um, it was an e- it's an evening with uh, Sylvester Stallone or a night with Sylvester Stallone, and it was brilliant, right? Because he's like um, uh, he's done all, he's done everything for himself, you know. Mm-hmm. So he's written and he's directed, and every time his career is fucked up, he's uh, he's sort of like resuscitated his own career, and that was really great. But if you wanted to meet him afterwards, it was one and a half grand. Wow! For a meet and greet, and you just go, uh, I'm all right. Yeah. Well, some you, don't, you, don't even, you don't even get to yeah but they're all really rich we've got to play um, I imagine uh, so yes. we've got to play the game um, well, what's the game? Ready to play I didn't game? bring any games in um, it's Mousetrap Oh, oh no, sorry. That's the wrong so this is the game, Michael. It is better or worse. Right. You have to say whether the next person I mention is better or worse than the person before. It's not winner stays on, it's the next person. So oh. Starting off with Albert Finney. Is Felicity Kendall better or worse than Albert Finney? Worse, way worse. Worse, she is worse. Hang on, yeah. start again. Felicity Kendall is what? Worse than Albert Finney. Yeah, definitely. Oh, okay. Yeah. I like her, I've got nothing against her. It's no, a high card. It's, a yeah, high it's card. quite a high yeah. card. Yeah. Oh. Toby Jones, better or worse than Felicity Kendall? Oh, no, he's, he's better than... Felicity I'd say he's better. Toby yeah. Jones used to be my neighbour. I mean, it oh, sounds really? like Felicity's yeah. gaining kicking here. She, I, I know, mean, she's not. It's a hungry card. Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, the Incredible Hulk. Is the Incredible Hulk better or worse than Toby Jones? Honestly, The Incredible Hulk is, is pretty much as good as it gets. Yeah, he's good. It's a high so, card. He's beaten Toby Jones. Character. Sure, it's fine. Can have a fictional character. Really? Is Hugh Dennis better or worse than The Incredible Hulk? N- he Worse. Worse. He is yeah. worse. He is. You picked uh, the right one for me here. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's already won. Is, you, is Sean you know? Connery better or worse than you, yeah. Dennis? Oh. As Bond. Uh, God, that I is, reckon I reckon you, Dennis, would make would have maybe at one point made quite a good Bond. I'd say he'd have certainly done the funny eyebrows or something, wouldn't he? He would have been good, yeah. I'd say Sean Connery's better. He is better. As Bond, or in general as a person? In, in general, I think. I think well, uh, yeah, that's... Nothing no, against no. you, Dennis. Nothing yeah, against no, him. No, you probably no. won't do Mock the Week now. Okay, well, I'll live with it. I wasn't... <laughs> <laughs> is Henry Cavill better or worse than Sean Connery? Worse than worse. almost worse. every single More, thing. Yeah. Is Emma Thompson better or worse oh. than Henry Cavill? Better. Way better. Way better. Way better. Is John Bon Jovi better or worse than Emma Thompson? Worse. And worse. Yeah, worse, definitely. Yeah, worse, worse. And is Stephen Hendry better or worse than John Bon Jovi? Better. Did, uh, I, I equally couldn't give a shit about either of them. Is that, is that one of the rules? No. Oh, have... well, then Stephen Andrews better. All right. He is better. All right. I think you've done very well. Oh, thanks. What's the score? No one cares. No one cares. Doesn't matter. What is it? Nine. Doesn't really matter. Nine. nine. Tell you what, mate. Um, we've never had a nine before. Oh. Do you know what I feel really, really proud? We I... had our first ten two weeks ago, but um, but so, that <laughs> so I played quite a similar game with friends of mine. Where, I did. But it's called uh, Up Your Cunt. And you have to start with someone who's uh, a bit of a cunt. Yeah. And then the next person names someone who's just a little bit more. Oh, that is a and good that game. keeps going on and on until someone says Tom Hiddleston and the game's up. Right. I, we <laughs> used to play a game like cunt or twat. And it was just like, is he a right. cunt or is yes. he a twat? You know? Yes. And, you know, it's not quite the same because you're not one-upmanship and you're no. just enlisting people and you go, no, he's a cunt, he is. Mm. Well, it's the great thing about the game up your cunt is, it, I mean, the debates are pretty fierce. Yeah, of course. You know? Yeah, it's really good. We can play it after this. 
Oh my God, that's oh. threatening, isn't it? Start saying goodbye, please. Oh bloody hell! Um, uh, Can I we, plug something? Of course. Oh bloody yeah. So I'm no, on, no. I'm, I'm, I'm Put on, your trousers back on, Thank you. Lovely stuff. No, that is fun. Anyway, thank you for listening. Vitriol podcast. I want everyone to listen to. Go to wherever you get podcasts and listen to that. It's me and Robin Ince talking about music and shouting at one another. Also, go on Twitter. Use the hashtag five by one and you can join in with us whenever we have album listen alongs it's me and group of other it's so much listen- fun it's really good fun it's, really, it's really good I'm glad you, and, glad and, you think and, so and do you know what it was really quick because um, uh, it's really nice that you did Alice Cooper as well it was kind of um, yeah we did all of uh, uh, Alice Cooper's back catalogue it was great to be able to talk to you as adults about what you thought about it and, stuff. Well, it's um, and you also do that thing of uh, let's sell this gig out don't you yeah I oh, did nice, I yeah. did I haven't done it in a long time but do, do people take it over from you or is no no. I know on Facebook it used to just be people going, I'm doing this gig. And you go, yeah. well, surely that's not the point of that, it, is you, it? That's, that's <laughs> unfortunately what ruined it. Yeah. So people would write to me and then just go, hey, listen, I've got a gig, so can you plug it? Go, no, that's, I'm not a fucking plugger. <laughs> no. Although I am plugging Vitriola. What a great podcast. Sure. Hashtag 5 well, by one We're going to end... 5x1. Uh, we're just going to end now on a song. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes.